welcome everyone today. How's your month been? It's been different for different people, obviously. Uh, mine and Mary's has been very intense, and uh, and we've had some really big things to deal with. So many of you would maybe have sent me some emails that you've got no response to. And the reason why is because we've had very little chance to do anything else other than process our emotions for the month. And uh, today, actually, I'm in a terrible state, so I don't know what kind of a, <laughs> a discussion you're going to get today. Because this morning I had an emotion come up of just wanting to die, so, uh, so we'll see how we go with that <laughs> today. Um, so I've been, uh, pro I've processed that quite a lot through my life, and uh, um, when I was young, when I was about six years of age, and again when I was about nine, I had pneumonia. And for any of you who've had pneumonia, it's actually a desire to die through sadness. Which uh, I'm getting the symptoms of again, so we'll just see how we go with that. So I've got to work through that emotion for myself. And Mary's obviously having different emotions to work through, and she's been doing really well as well. She's actually at the moment out printing out some more handouts for you, for those of you who haven't got a handout. But today, the discussion is about prayer. And I wanted to have this series of discussions now, not just today, but from for the next fair few discussions, are going to be about our relationship with God. And the reason why I wanted to deal with that specifically is I feel we've had a lot of discussion up to now about the law of attraction. We've had a lot of discussion up to now about you know, opening up emotionally and dealing with your emotions. And now I feel that the majority of us are sort of ready to start really connecting with God and being aware of how that connection is an emotional connection. And so that's why I wanted to really focus now on the specific things to do with your relationship with God. And the very first of those things is prayer, obviously. So we want to talk about what prayer is. So this is not going to be a very religious discussion, by the way. So those of you who are a bit afraid that it might be a religious discussion, it won't be. It'll be more a discussion about how you interact with God and how God interacts with you. So we'll talk about that a lot throughout this session today. What we want to do too um, is maybe read a few things. Uh, ideally what I would have liked to have done if I was more prepared is that we would have liked to get a few people up here and actually there's an excerpt I want to read from the Life of Elysian and it's all got different characters. So you're going to have to put your imagination on when I read through that and imagine me in all these different roles as I'm reading out the, uh, the excerpt because it's going to help you look at the issue of what is involved in prayer. So we want to uh, look specifically at that. Now, do all of you have... Uh, you all have a handout? Okay. It's uh, four pages long, and, and there is another handout that I'll be emailing out with it, which is actually an excerpt that I'll be talking about today from the book The Life Elysium. And that's eight pages long, but you'll actually, oh, maybe nine pages long, nine pages long, and that I'll send via email to, to you, so, so you'll get that sometime in the future. And how many of... Tomorrow, of course, there's a mediumship session tomorrow, so... For those of you who are coming along to that, uh, we'll be looking at the mediumship issue, the second session of the mediumship stuff, tomorrow, not today. All right. 
It was funny today because I had this feeling that uh, I was just in a total blank. And I often come to these sessions in a total blank, so <laughs> I hope that doesn't uh, worry you too much. But today I'm really in a total blank, so we'll see how we go uh, about dealing with the discussion. Unfortunately, I'm in a total blank about my favourite subject, which is which is prayer. So, um, so I'm finding that it's a bit difficult, <laughs> um, because normally uh, I would feel uh, a lot of very very deep emotions about it and today because I'm in this other emotion it's very very difficult for me to connect so you'll have to bear with me today and I don't mind if you get up and walk out and say oh, AJ just was not on song today. <laughs> <laughs> now you remember what your soul is. What is your soul? What is your soul? What is it? Your emotions? Your memories? memories? Somebody mentioned too? Passions, desires, intentions, experiences, aspirations, somebody mentioned, and so forth, right? So there's our soul. That's a soul is the real you. So the mind is not the real you, your brain is not the real you, the soul is the real you. This is something that we've said over and over and over again. For those who don't have a handout, would you like to just put your hand up so that Mary can just hand them out to you? So, this is the real you. The real you needs to connect to the real God. So what, what is God? God is a soul as well. You can say God is the great oversoul, if you like. Remember, we always say that God has divine love and divine truth are the primary characteristics of the soul. And that probably just So that's something we need to bear in mind. But God's soul has attributes and qualities. Very, very similar, in fact, attributes and qualities to our own soul, but far more infinite in capacity. The reason why is because we, our soul, was created in God's image. So, so the qualities and attributes that exist in our soul exist in God's soul, but to a far more powerful degree, and in fact, in fact to an infinite degree. So there's God's soul, there's our soul. How do the, those two souls talk? Well, the only way they're going to be able to talk is soul to soul. Now... If we, if our soul is our emotions, our passions, our desires, our intentions, and so forth, then wouldn't it make sense then that the way we talk to God is through those things? Can you see that? Mm -hmm. The way we actually speak with God is through those things. It's not actually the words that we speak. It's not actually the thoughts that we have. But it's actually the emotions and the feelings that are within us that we direct to God, that God hears. So if we term, use the term hearing in terms of God's hearing our prayer and hearing in the sense of our hearing God's response, the hearing will all occur at the soul level. Does that make sense to everyone? All prayer is a soul-to-soul -soul connection. A soul-to-soul -soul connection, your soul connecting with God's soul. 
Now, obviously, when you connect to your own soul, usually you connect to it emotionally. When you connect to other people, generally you connect with them emotionally. So it's the same with your connection with God. It's to do with your emotional connection, your passion connection, your desire connection, your intentions and all those things. All of those things are your connection with God. So obviously, if I don't develop myself emotionally, if I don't deserve to develop my desires and passions, obviously I'm going to have a lower capacity to connect to God than if I develop all of those things. And that's why, all through up till now, we've spoken a lot about emotions and a lot about passion, a lot about desire, because these are the ways in which we connect to God. So our soul having a longing for God connects God with our soul through this thing that I've used, the term Holy Spirit. Now, this is not some some religious type of connotation. It's an actual physical energy force that God uses from God's soul to our soul. And it's like a pipeline through which communication occurs. And in, in, in specifically, this Holy Spirit is the pipeline, if you like, or the conduit, for divine love to flow between the two souls. So remember we've spoken about that before in, in some of the other sessions that we've had. <coughs> so the Holy Spirit, and the reason why it's called the Holy Spirit by celestial spirits is because it's the one spirit of God or the one attribute of God that is specifically for the transmission of divine love from God's soul into your soul. Now God can also transmit other emotions and feelings and energies into your soul through other methods. God has a creative energy, for example. Your life breath or your life force is a part of that creative energy. That's an energy that God gives to all living things. But that's not what I'm talking about here. This is a specific energy, the Holy Spirit. The, you can think of it as the greatest energy God has in terms of influencing your soul. And it's the pipeline or the connection between God's soul and your soul. Now, once that connection is made, then divine love can throw, flow through the connection. Now, next week in Brisbane, we'll be having a talk about prayers for divine love, and we'll be concentrating specifically on what maintains the connection between yourself and God through the Holy Spirit with regard to uh, receiving divine love. So that's next week. Today, what we're doing is talking more generally about prayer itself, and what kind of prayers God can hear from you, and what kind of prayers God can't hear from you. <coughs> or, we should more specifically say, cannot due to the laws involved that God has created. So, can we see our focus, our focus over the next few days, and the focus today is going to be, in particular, the focus of not the prayer for divine love, but just prayer generally. Next week will be a focus on the prayer for divine love, and then there'll be a later in another session, prayer for divine truth. But today we're looking at the general characteristics of prayer, what kinds of things we can pray for, what kinds of things we have difficulty praying for, and so forth. Does that make sense? So that's what we're focusing now, how our soul can communicate with God's soul, and we'll also talk about how God's soul responds. 
Now, firstly, I would like to mention what the effect of prayer is. The effect of prayer is that it opens up pathways in your soul. If you could think of your soul as a body for a moment. So, so you know how we've talked about you having a physical body and you have a spirit body and you have a soul? If you could think of your soul as another body, so like you have got a spirit body, a physical body, a spirit body, and a soul body, let's call it. All right? And if you can just picture that for a moment, that there's this third body that we haven't talked about as the soul being that body. In the spirit body, you know, that energy flows through it, doesn't it? And that's where you have your chakras. You've all heard of the term chakras, where you have energy meridians passing through your body. And these energy points are where energy flows through you. So you can think of emotions as energy in motion. So there's these feelings, if you like, that pass through you in your spirit form. Well, there's also feelings that pass through you. They all come, all these feelings come from your soul and they pass through your soul. And if you can think of your soul as this great ball of energy through which emotion, and all energy in the soul is emotion, if you can think of all of this emotion flowing constantly in the soul, you can picture it in your mind like one of those, is it Van de Graaff balls, you know, where, they, where there's all this electrical energy flying off a ball. And that's your soul, that, that powerhouse of emotion, if you like, which is actually energy flowing out to the universe. When you begin to pray, there's a part of that soul that actually begins to open up. So this is where, when we're talking about true prayer, that it actually opens up a portion of your soul. It, there's a physical part of your soul that begins to open up. And it's the part that opens up that's allowing you to receive. Allowing you to receive things from, in this particular case, from God. But from also all parts of God's universe. Prayer is the key, if you like, to opening up this part of your soul. So you know how most of the time when we think of prayer, you think of some religious sort of connotation of what prayer is. What I'm talking about, actually, is this part this actual feeling or attitude in you, which is called prayer, that actually opens up a part of your soul so that you can now receive things that you couldn't before receive. Now, if it's a prayer for divine love, it will open up a part of your soul where you can start feeling and receiving divine love. But if it's a prayer for other things, you'll open up a part of your soul in each case that allows you to receive. The biggest issue that we have with our connection with God is we're constantly denying a connection with God. We're constantly pushing God away. We're constantly not receiving. That's now the default state of the human race, if you like. Does that How make sense? Are we doing that, Sorry? How are, we doing that? How are we constantly denying it? We'll talk about that in a minute, of how we're pushing God away rather than accepting. But one of the main ways is by not understanding prayer. You see, most of the time, if we talk about a religious connotation of prayer, most of the time it's thought of as a series of words that I read out, isn't it? So, our Father in Heaven might be one of those series of words. If we're another religion, there'll be another series of words that we read out, which is a prayer to God. But whatever the prayer is, a lot of times the way we view it is it's all coming from our intellect, really. How many times is our emotion involved in that process? So, if you can remember what it was like when, say, some of you who went to church 
How many times did your emotion get touched when you said the prayer? Compared to how many times you said the prayer without emotion? You, can you see how most of the time it's just the word coming out of our mouth or even a thought coming out of our brain, but in fact the soul is not touched. Can you see that? And if the soul isn't touched, then it's not a prayer. And that's the thing we need to understand. God is not hearing things from our mind. God is hearing things from our soul. Totally different place. Totally different space. So is, is the role of like a, a deep crisis on that hand gives us an avenue to access a bit more emotion? Yeah, that is one why, reason why deep crises always trigger connections with God generally. It's because when we're in a deep crisis, the soul is in these deep, really strong emotions and is often overwhelmed with powerful emotions. And because it's a crisis that we have no solution for generally, we then generate a longing for God to assist us in the crises, and that's what causes a connection in those particular states. So that's one reason why in a crisis we feel a connection with God when we may not feel a connection with God at other times. The whole object of prayer in the end, though, is to have a connection with God 24 by 7. So that's the whole object. We don't want to just connect with God in a crisis and then the rest of the time feel quite disconnected from God. What we want in the end is to have a direct relationship with God that's a constant relationship. Now, if you could think of it as a child would think of this. In the first century, when I began praying, I was only very, very young. So I was around two years of age when I started to feel God. And I used to talk to God all the time. Like, I viewed God as uh, my daddy. And I used to often call God daddy um, or mummy. And I used to refer to God in that way because um, it, it felt like a very personal thing between me and God. And I also viewed God as my friend. So if you imagine you had a friend with you, 24 by 7, this friend loves you constantly, this friend is always interested in your welfare, this friend can also inform you about every single question that you have about anything in the universe that he created. Um, if you could establish a constant communication link with that friend, wouldn't that be such a benefit to your life? So you'd be able to find out, oh, I've got this ache in my body, what's that about? What, you know, so you, and you'd be talking away. And what, what used to happen for myself is I would be talking away out loud all the time until my father, Joseph, got quite upset with me about that. Or, um, and, and they thought I was somehow going crazy, and so I stopped talking out loud and started doing it just in my feelings and emotions. But before then, I used to speak out loud constantly. And there's nothing to stop you from doing the same. Just talking out loud, connecting to your own emotions constantly, and talking to your friend, God. If you could consider prayer as that, then you'll go far closer to what you could ever consider prayer to be in any other form. So the connection with God is like this childlike, innocent, chatting away to God. That's what we're really talking about. But the chatting has to be coming from the emotion. It can't just be coming from the mind. Everyone, did you follow that? 
as soon as it starts to come from the mind, then we're now out of the soul and we're now in an appendage of the soul. Remember, the spirit and material bodies that are connected to the soul, so the spirit body and the material body that are connected to the soul, are just appendages of the soul. You could think of them as an arm of the soul. You could think of the spirit body as one arm and the physical body another arm, if you like. So that's not the way through which you are going to connect to God by using these arms. What, how you're going to connect to God is by using your real self, which is the soul itself. That's how you will connect to God. And so every single thing that comes from you towards God as a prayer is going to need to somehow involve your emotions, your desires, your passions, your intentions, and so forth. And if it doesn't involve those things, then it's not a prayer. It is just intellectual words spoken to space. And there's a good quote in the pageant messages where he said, it rises no higher than the space above your head. <laughs> now, sure, thoughts certainly get transmitted all over the universe. So the truth is that every single thought you have is also a packet of energy, like an email, you can think of it as. So every thought you have in your mind is like an email, right? A packet of energy that is spread out in space. But every emotion you have is far more powerful. It's like it has a far more powerful effect on everything around you. The mind itself does have energy, and therefore every thought of the mind has some energy, but it has nowhere near the power that the energy of the soul has. So we can certainly use our mind to start connecting with our soul's emotion in when we pray. So I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm saying is understand that it's only when the emotion is involved that the prayer reaches God. And the way it works, it actually transmits, in a physical sense, it transmits faster than the speed of light. Well, when you think about it, if God is outside the universe, then God, that means that God must be further away than the farthest possible star we could ever measure. Now, at the moment, they've measured distances of, what, two or three hundred or two or three million light years away. So if I had a feeling and it travelled at the speed of light, it would take two and a half million years before it reached God. It wouldn't be very effective, would it? No wonder I'm not getting it. Someone in two and a half million years' time has got to get my answer. So obviously prayer doesn't transmit at the speed of light. Prayer is transmitted, and this is the beauty of emotions. Emotions are instant transmissions. And that's one of the physical things that even those people in the 60s do not understand. That every time you feel an emotion, it is instantly felt by everything in the universe. Now, if you have an emotion of feeling towards God, then God instantly feels that emotion. Now, if that emotion that you feel towards God is harmonious with God's love and harmonious with God's laws, God will have an emotional response. So if you could just imagine for a moment you've got a child sitting in your arms and the child starts crying. What do you feel straight away? You, don't you feel those tears straight away? You feel the sadness of that child straight away. And many of us would start trying to calm down the child, which obviously 
is not always the best thing to do. But there would be an instant emotional response in myself if I'm holding a child, particularly if the child is a, just being hurt or something, and you can feel the child's hurt. So if you can imagine now God, she has you in her arms. And she has you in her arms constantly, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're asleep to that or not. God has you in her arms. And every single emotion that you have, God actually can feel and sense. Every single emotion. Now, if those emotions are harmonious with love, God can respond to them. If those emotions are not harmonious with love, in other words, there are desires, passions, intentions or emotions that are not loving in their intention, then God obviously can still sense them but will probably and obviously not act upon them. But So God can feel your every emotion. Now, that raises a lot of issues, really, doesn't it, when you think about it? If God can feel my every emotion, then the emotion I had yesterday of killing somebody, well, God felt that. And the emotion I had last night of anger with my wife, well, God felt that too. And the emotion I had this morning of wanting to die, which was the one I had this morning, well, God felt that too. God felt every one of those. Now, every one of those that I just mentioned, God's not going to help me carry out. Because if I have an intention to die, for example, then God's emotion wouldn't... Like, God doesn't want me to die, does she? So, so therefore, God won't answer my desire to die. Does that make sense? So, I'm feeling the emotion... But because the emotion is disharmonious with love, God can't respond to that emotion directly in the connection with me. God, however, can respond to the emotion if I allow the emotion to flow through me and I pray to God about healing the cause, then God can respond. And we'll talk about these principles of God responding and when God doesn't respond. But can you see that the, it's the emotional feeling if you had a child in your arms, it's the feeling you're getting from them emotionally, isn't it, that you're responding to. It's not their words necessarily, although their words often are a response to their own emotion, and therefore their words often will trigger the emotion inside of you as well. And it's exactly the same in your connection with God. Exactly the same as that. When you have a feeling inside of you, and you voice that feeling in any way you possibly can, even if there is no words, but you feel the feeling, now God is feeling that feeling from you. And that's a prayer. <coughs> so that means, actually, that you can be praying to God while you're talking to another person. Doesn't it? Because you don't have to stop feeling an emotion towards God just because you're talking to someone else. Can you see how you can do both things concurrently? So you can actually get to a stage where you're praying constantly but not actually saying words. Would it be correct to say that your life becomes a prayer? Your of course your life is a prayer. Yeah. But, um, but don't think it's just your life because it's also your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we think of our life, generally we think of things happening to us from external, coming into us. But I'm saying it's in addition to that, it's also what you're actually feeling, which is being transmitted out to the world itself. So for many of you, you have a life 
that doesn't represent how you truly feel inside of you. Doesn't it? Like how many of us really want to be in the job that we're in? So when you're in that job, doing that job, do you actually, are you feeling great about doing the job? Probably not. But God can feel that emotion from you, even though no one else around you might be able to sense that emotion from you. God senses all of your emotions as you have them. How can he survive? How can God survive? <laughs> well, God is so infinite in love that every single one of your emotions, even if they are in the depths of despair, and a lot of humanity is in the depths of despair at the emotional level, that emotion God feels but does not feel resonant with. Do you see the difference between being resonant with an emotion? Now, let me, let me illustrate. This soul, you can think of it like a tuning fork, if you like, that's vibrating at a certain frequency. When it has a feeling, it vibrates at a certain frequency. It's just like a soprano singer singing at a certain frequency. Now, there might be certain items in the room that vibrate at that same frequency and they resonate with that soprano singer. And it's the same with your soul. Your soul is vibrating constantly at a certain frequency and that is the sum total of your soul condition. And every single person around you will sense the bits of the frequency that also their soul vibrates at. And this is what causes a lot of attractions. Does that make sense? From a physical level. So here, my soul is vibrating at this certain frequency because of all the different emotions that I have in me at this moment. Your soul is vibrating at a different frequency with all the different emotions you have in you at a certain moment. But there are certain emotions that are the same in characteristic between the two of us and we will feel resonant with each other. We will feel attracted to each other on those particular emotions. If you can think of God as being this huge a simulator of emotion throughout the universe. Every, in fact, every living creature and even every inanimate object has a certain frequency and a certain emotion and certain um, characteristics that God always feels. Your soul is the highest of those creations and so your soul is the thing that he is most sensitive to. He's sensitive to absolutely every single child that he has ever, ever created. Every soul, God is just as sensitive to as every other soul. And that's why we can say that God is impartial, without partiality. Because your soul and my soul, from God's perspective, are identical in the sense that your soul and my soul, God can feel to the same intensities. It doesn't mean that your soul and my soul match each other in their emotions, or their desires, or their passions. But God can feel them. So God's there feeling and resonating with certain emotions that only God herself has. So if there's an emotion in me like, I want to die, and there's an emotion in God that God feels that life is supreme, then obviously my emotion and God's emotion are not harmonious, are they, in that state? So is God resonating with me at that point? No. And God can't <coughs> resonate with me at that point. God can feel the emotion in me, that God's soul will not resonate with me because my emotion is different to what God feels about me. When my soul begins resonating with God's soul on certain matters, that's when we start feeling the communication back from God. 
Does that make sense to everybody? We're both having the same kind of thing going on. So, for example, let's say my soul has a feeling of unworthiness in it. What does God feel about me? Well, doesn't God feel that I'm supremely worthy? I'm, according to God, I am the pinnacle of his creation, as are you. But let's just refer it as one person. So if I'm feeling unworthy, God's feeling unworthy. Is my soul resonating with God's soul now? No. So if I then act or pray about something that is a result of my unworthiness, unless it's about healing it, I'm not dealing with the cause of my unworthiness. And of course, God's soul can't resonate with me about that. So all God can do then is, by, is direct other people around me in the way that God does, and we'll talk about this a bit later. God can direct other people around me to influence me, to help me see that actually I'm worthy. But God can't actually physically connect with me because I believe I'm not worthy. Does that make sense? And God feels I am worthy. So God is feeling my emotion, but not resonating with my emotion, because my emotion doesn't agree with her emotion. And so God, under those circumstances, uses everything in her power, outside of the physical connection she can have with me, in order to influence me to see the truth. And the truth is that I am worthy. So there'll be all sorts of events, law of attraction events, law of cause and effect events, law of conversation events, and so forth, all that will occur to try and trigger me emotionally. There'll be people coming up to me. You'll hear different things about worthiness in my life, you know, and eventually those things will get through to me, whether it happens here on the earth or it happens in the spirit world. Eventually, it'll get through to me. And when it gets through to me, my soul starts resonating with God's soul on the issue of whether I'm worthy or not. And in that state, now I can receive more from God because my soul agrees with God's soul about God's opinion of me. Does that make sense? So a lot of the times what we're doing is we're dealing with all of these issues where we are not actually feeling what God feels about us. So all disconnection between ourselves and God is caused by we ourselves not feeling what God feels about ourselves. That's what all disconnection is caused by. So... What we're doing on this path of spiritual growth, the divine love path we've called it, which is the narrow way leading to life, what we're actually doing is we're learning to see ourselves as God sees us. That's what we're learning to do. And prayer is the major mechanism by which that will occur. Prayer is the only, in fact, mechanism by which your soul can receive divine love. So therefore, it's the only mechanism by which our changes can be made. Now, I'm not saying, though, that if, if God's soul doesn't resonate with our soul, that we're useless or hopeless, because we're not. Because God is constantly trying to, to connect with every one of his children through other means if they personally don't want to connect to God themselves. Does that make sense? So God is trying, even if you do not want a connection with God, God is trying as best she can with all the little laws involved and with your attitude and condition, your soul condition inside of your heart. God is doing exactly the best that she can already do to make this connection occur at some point in the future. All that has to happen at some point is for me 
to come to recognize that. And so quite often it's referred to in spiritual circles that we, we come to a process of awakening. And that's really, we could use that term if we want. We're awakening to the fact that actually it's only me that's keeping myself away from God. God is not distant from you. God is right with you right now. It's just that you can't always feel God with you right now. And that's the issue we face. The reason why we don't feel God is with us right now, if that's what we feel, is because we are not connecting to God in the sense of resonating with God about God's opinion of you. In other words, your own opinion of you is in disharmony with God's opinion of you. When your own opinion of you becomes, and when I use the term opinion, I'm talking about your emotional state, not just your intellectual state, your true emotional state has the same opinion as God's opinion of you, now you will resonate with God. And in fact, at that point, when God's opinion of you and your opinion of you match each other perfectly, you also become at one with God. That is one of the characteristics of being at one with God. So everything before then is just learning to see what we are in terms of separating from God. And prayer is the key to finding out all of that. And particularly the prayer for divine love is the key. Because if I'm not receiving divine love, it's because I am out of resonance. I am not in harmony <coughs> with something if I'm not receiving it. And I've got to allow myself, if I want to connect to God perfectly, I've got to at some point allow myself to actually notice that that's occurring and do something about it myself, because that's my free will. So at this stage, does everyone understand how God connects to us and how you connect to God? If you can just picture it emotionally rather than metaphysically. So the way I feel about it is like I'm the child and God's the parent and every single emotion I feel, whether I'm crying or laughing or whatever I'm feeling, I'm reflecting those emotions to God. Some of those emotions are going to be resonant with God's emotions about me. And so we will have a connection. Other ones of those emotions are not going to be the same as the emotions that God has about me. And so there will be a disconnection. But I can communicate all the time those emotions, can't I? Firstly, if I do that for myself, then I'll be connected to myself all the time, which is really, really great. That's one of the first things we need to do with regard to our connection with God. But then I will also notice when I'm not getting a response. And when I'm not getting a response, I'll know, oh, my opinion's not the same as God's opinion of me. The way I feel about myself isn't in harmony with what God's feeling about me on this particular subject, whatever that subject may be. So I'll know straight away that I'm in error. Can you see that? And if I know straight away I'm in error... <coughs> then I know what I need to fix, what I need to do, what I need to feel and work my way through in order to reconnect back with God again. So at this point, point, what we want to do is make sure that all of us understand that prayer is not an intellectual concept. Prayer isn't also some faith thing. Prayer is actually 
a physical connection between yourself and God through your soul, which is through your emotional condition, your soul condition. That's what prayer is. And it's a reality. And you can even start experimenting with it, even if you don't believe in God. You can actually experiment with prayer. And let yourself work through different issues with it. For example, you can say to God, well, I don't believe you exist. But if you exist, I don't believe you love either, actually, come to think of it. But if you do love, and if you exist, could you start showing me how to connect with your love? Uh, that could be just a prayer that we make. If we don't believe in God and we don't believe in love. And you'll find over the coming weeks, things will change around you and you'll start getting direction about those matters. Right? And this will happen to any single person, whether they believe in God or not, it will start happening to them. And eventually they will start having certain things happen. Because remember, it's the prayer that opens your soul. Remember I said it's the prayer that is the mechanism. You can think of it like your soul is a, as a bud, like a rose bud. And when you pray, you start the rose bud's really starting to open. Right? And when things start to open, that's when you can start receiving. Can you see that? There's a common illustration where, you know, if you hold your hands like that, right, are you ever going to receive anything? <laughs> You're not ever going to be out of it unless you open your hand to, to grab it, isn't it? And it's very much the same with your soul. Prayer is the mechanism by which you open your soul. It's very important we all understand that. And that's why prayer is so important. Because it's the mechanism by which our soul opens to be able to receive. So bearing that in mind, you notice... I've, so basically now I've covered the section, what true prayer does. So prayer is this emotional response to God, and it opens our soul to receive. It's a very, very powerful part. We've also talked about how God hears prayer, but there's a few things I'd like to mention about that. The way God designed our soul, and this is reflected in our chakras, by the way, in our spirit body, the way God designed our soul is that we have two facets of emotions. One facet of the emotions are the emotions we're about to have. And the other facet of our soul is the emotions we are currently experiencing. Can you see the difference between those two? So one is the set of emotions we were having right now, and then there are also a set of emotions that we're about to have. You could call them intentions. They are the emotions that are not yet flowing, but they're about to flow. God feels both things. So God not only feels the current set of emotions that you have, but God also feels the set of emotions you're about to have. And in fact, you will get to a point in your own development where you will also feel from other people not only the emotions they're currently having, but also the emotions they're about to have. You will in fact grow to get to that point. 
So, for example, you'll grow to get to a point where you know that somebody's going to steal from you before they steal from you. For example. Or you know that somebody's going to want to uh, spend time with you before they even have the feeling they want to spend time with you. Because as your soul grows in its capacity to experience, and as it receives divine love, your soul's qualities expands beyond, beyond what is the normal human soul, and into having similar characteristics to God's soul. And one of these characteristics of God's soul is the ability to actually know what you're about to do, besides knowing what you're doing. So bearing that in mind, God can actually respond to prayer before you're actually feeling the prayer. So that's fairly powerful, isn't it, when you think about that? This is why many times there is lots and lots of spirits surrounding a person before a person makes a move or a shift emotionally. Because actually God is already responding to the fact that God knows that the person is going to make that shift. Yeah, are words important in the prayer? Because sometimes I, I'm trying to get the right words going, and then all of a sudden I think, oh, you understand what I'm talking about anyway, don't you? And it, um, words, the reason do I need... Words are important not for God, but they are important for you. <laughs> the reason why they're important for you is because when you start speaking words most of the time, particularly, and this is before you reach the atonement condition, so I'm talking about this time from, you know, the first sphere, if you like, of your own progression to the, to the seventh sphere of your progression. During this phase of your progression, words can be quite important. The reason why they can be quite important, not for God, but for you, is that often certain words trigger certain emotions within you whereas other words don't. Certain situations trigger emotions in you. When you speak the situation or speak the words, often the emotion then rises. So the beauty of words is they, they can help you, particularly in that phase before you're at one with God, to actually open up your soul so that you can feel the emotion that's actually there, and it's the emotion that is felt that God is hearing, if you like, if I use the term hearing. God's hearing the emotion. But God also, one of the key things that God wants you to do is for you to feel your own emotion before God responds to it. So the truth is that God will generally not respond to an emotion within you uh, that is just locked up and not felt by you. This is why God waits until you feel the emotion. Even though God knows that emotion is locked in you, God waits until you feel that emotion before God responds. Does that make sense to everyone? There's a reason why that is the case, or there's quite a lot of reasons actually why that is the case. One of the primary reasons is, if you're not aware of the issue within yourself, then how can you even receive something you're not aware of? Does that make sense? You firstly need an emotional awareness within yourself before you can receive something that is of the same resonance, if you like. So, for example, Many of you may have spent, like, when you were falling in love with someone, you might have spent quite a lot of time with him to feel this draw to them, and, and if someone tells you, oh, you're in love with them, no, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm in love with them, right? 
but you still feel this draw and you feel this draw towards them. And then one time you'll just sit down or maybe and the, the penny will just drop. Wow, I am in love with you. <laughs> right? Up until that point, you really can't receive love from that other person. Right? In that, in that I'm talking about now in a romantic sense. Um, because you have not the awareness within yourself that you even desired it. So even though other people could see you were desiring it, it was not until you were desiring it that you could feel your desire for it that actually things could flow properly. And this is very much the same with all of our interactions with other people, but also with God. God is constantly waiting for us to get to a state where we're aware of what we want. So we can't just do this thing that many people do, and that is, you know what I want, God, so please can I have that, whatever that is. Right? Can I just say a bit more about that? Because if we do that, what are we doing? We're basically skipping over the fact that of our own awareness or our own unawareness. And God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to be completely aware of everything that we desire, of everything we want, of everything we need, God wants us to be aware. Then God helps. Now God does a lot of things to get us to that point of awareness. So the perfect prayer would actually be to be 100% humble all the time. Yes, when we're 100% humble all the time, what's happening is we're feeling our emotions all the time. So as we're feeling our emotions all the time, we are constantly praying. Now, some of those emotions, before we become at one with God, will be out of harmony with God, so they won't resonate with God, and we'll feel that. So we'll know that that emotion's out of harmony with but God. But it's still a prayer. But it's still a prayer, but it, we know that it's out of harmony with God because there's no response from God. So we know straight away that we're out of harmony, and we know what to do, not to work on and that's the beauty of being humble all the time, is when you're humble all the time, all these emotions are passing through you all the time. Some of them are going to be out of harmony with love. Some of them are going to be in harmony with love. The ones out of harmony with love will not feel the resonance from God. And then you'll know, oh, that's out of harmony with love. And then you can do something about it. You can pray about that emotion, for example, and do all of those kind of things. But we're not really 100% humble until we're actually one with God either. Because up until that point, we're still not really feeling all of our emotions. So, so, so if I'm praying that um, I want what God wants for me, is that a, that's a cop out too? That's a cop out. Yes. Yeah. What does God want for you? What you want for yourself in harmony with love. So, what do you want for yourself? See, a lot of times our prayers avoid ourselves. We're constantly trying to avoid ourselves. Now, does God ever want you to avoid yourself? No. Never. God never wants you to avoid what's inside of yourself. So any prayer that's about avoiding what's inside of yourself, God cannot respond to. He can hear it in the sense he feels your emotion. And he goes, oh yeah, that's the emotion of him wanting to avoid again. <laughs> what can I do about that? Well, not much aside from showing some truths about some other things about what he's avoiding and wait till he decides that he shouldn't avoid it anymore. That's all God can do in that circumstance. He can't physically tell you because you're in the space of not wanting to hear the truth, and that is that God actually wants you to know what you want. So it's very important. So can you see how God hears prayer, that section about God hears prayer? Does that make sense to you? What's going on with hearing prayer from God? 
So, if we understand that God is totally feeling and, and can sense all of your emotions, that God is not responding to all of your emotions, because the only emotions that God can respond to are the emotions that are harmonious with his laws. His, and his highest law, of course, is love. So they are the emotions he can respond to in a direct sense. So I, I use that specifically. Please keep that in mind. In a direct sense. Because God can respond to all of the other emotions in an indirect sense. <clears throat> the way he responds to it in an indirect sense is, oh yes, I feel Ben has that emotion where he wants to avoid his own will. Right? So what can I do to help Sven? Imagine, if you can just imagine yourself, what would you do to help Sven when Sven's not listening to you? <laughs> Wouldn't you go to that person and say, oh, that person knows about that law. I'll get that person to meet up with Sven sometime. And then I'll get that person to meet up with Sven sometime. And eventually Sven will get the message. Does that make sense? And so that's exactly what God does with us in each, in each case. So God is constantly answering our prayers, but not directly, often indirectly, because God can't answer them directly because of our own condition. So, so don't feel that God doesn't answer your prayers even if you're not hearing a direct response. Because God is actually knowing what you need. And so, for example, in that question that you asked, God's not going to say, no worries, here's my will for you. Go and do this, and go and do that, and go and do this for me, and then come back. God's not going to do that, right? But guys, so that your prayer can't be answered, because God is never going to do that. But something God can do is help you see that actually, at some point in the future, you need to work what your own will is, and bring that will in harmony with the laws of love, and then you'll have a connection with God. And now God can talk to you about that. Does that make sense to everyone, what's going on? And this is something we need to come to understand about prayer. These are all parts about prayer. Now, I was going to read... I have, it's eight pages. It's nine pages. I don't know. There's a very, very good um, excerpt in the Life of Elysian on page 228, it begins. Um, it, all of you, I think, have a CD, or most of you have a CD, that the Life Elysian is in the CD under the Divine Love section, under PDFs. Page 228, and it's actually written in the handout, and uh, rather than perhaps read it, which will possibly bore you, well, it won't bore you, well, it doesn't bore me, but, but me reading might bore you. <laughs> And I'd like to just mention some of the things about it. In this example, there's this young boy who's just passed into the spirit world. His name is uh, Dandy, I think. Yeah. And Dandy lived on earth in a, in a situation where he had no parents to look after him. He was a street orphan. So he lived, when he was living on earth, he lived on the street. And the way that he would earn money was that he would have these little packets of matches that he would sell to passers-by. And that's how he would raise enough funds to buy enough food. There were many days where Dandy went without food. Dandy had an even younger orphan friend 
called uh, Bully Peg. Um, and Bully Peg also lived without food pretty much most of the time. And what they used to do is basically beg for food on the street. Now, there are many cities of the world right now today where this is happening constantly. Now, Dandy passed into the spirit world. There was an accident where he was asleep, and what happened was that he was asleep, and this big box fell on him and squashed him. And within a few hours, he passed. Now, of course, he's very, very concerned about his friend, Bully Peck, who's still on Earth, that he was looking after. So Danny was, so I think Danny would have sort of been the late, sort of seven, six, seven, eight bracket, and Bully Peg, I think, was only five or so. So very, very young child. And what's happening is that uh, Dandy is enjoying his life in the spirit world, but he wants to go back and see how Bully Peg's doing. He goes back and sees Bully Peg not having eaten for a day. So he hasn't eaten for a day, hasn't had anything to eat, he's sleeping alone, hasn't had anything to eat. What would you feel if you're in that situation? Your friend on earth, you're in really comfort now, your friend on earth is just in this state where, you know, they haven't had anything to eat, totally um, without anything to sustain them. Living on the streets, sleeping in cardboard boxes, five years of age. What would you feel? Uh, you want to help. Well, the first thing Dandy felt was anger to God, anger towards God. And this was where his prayer began. He didn't actually physically say to God, I'm angry with you. What he did was he got to his other mates in the spirit world and he said, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? This isn't fair. God should have taken me and, sorry, taken Bully Peg and left me on earth because I could look after myself, but Bully Peg couldn't. Why didn't God do that? Fair enough question, right? That's the way he viewed it. Now, he went to another person called Afra who'd been in the spirit world for a while, and, uh, and Afra couldn't answer the question uh, because Afra didn't know why God had chosen uh, seemingly chosen dandy and left Bully Peg there without any sustenance. But what actually happened was that dandy's feelings directed about God at this particular instant automatically drew a response from God. And one of the celestial spirits was sent to actually make sure that not only that Bully Peg got a meal, but eventually, that Bully Peg actually was adopted by somebody. Just because of the prayer of this young boy in the spirit world. Now, what does that demonstrate about prayer? Well, firstly, it demonstrates that our emotions are the key, and our desires are the key to prayer. But they have to be desires based around truth and honesty. So if, if Danny just looked at Bully Peg and said, oh, yeah, no worries, that's happening on earth, there's nothing I can do about it, which is probably something he might have felt, because he, he was a spirit now. Nothing I can do about it, I've just got to accept it. Right? He didn't have those emotions. The emotions that he actually had was, 
I am angry with God about this. This isn't fair. So, let's look at that with your relationship with God. If you're angry with God, and you're faking that you're not angry with God, does God hear you? If you're angry with God, and you're actually living in the angry with God, you're actually feeling that anger with God, and expressing it to God, now is God hearing you? Can you see the difference? One of those states... See, see, the earth would, the world would tell you that the first state is harmonious with God's love. In other words, the first state where you, you suppress your anger with God is harmonious with God's love. But the truth is totally the opposite. God's love doesn't lie, and therefore you, if you're lying to yourself or to God, are out of harmony with God's love. Does that make sense? What God wants from you too is your emotion. That's the that's bringing you in harmony with God's love. There was another example I know of, of a man who called in a priest. There was a man dying of cancer, and uh, he knew he was going to die very soon. And he, he went through, you know, obviously as many people do, we go through this process of, you know, looking for cures and so forth. And when all that exhausts itself, usually we skip into a place where we're quite upset and angry. And so for a whole night he spent abusing and swearing at God. He was a religious man, and so the next morning he felt so bad about abusing and swearing at God all night that he called in a minister and, uh, and said, well, you know, now I'm not going to make the heaven, am I? You know, because I've been swearing and abusing at God all night. Right? So, you know, I've just lowered my chances of uh, reaching you know, the heavens. But in reality, the minister said a good thing to him. He said, that, well, actually, you've been praying. And you see, prayer is like that. Prayer is going to be exactly your feelings. Exactly your feelings. Can you see, every time you manufacture thoughts not based on your feelings, you're no longer praying. It's exactly your feelings transmitted to God that's your prayer. So your emotions are essential. And your emotions being harmonious with truth are essential. Okay, Jane. Just back to the dandy story. Yep. Just briefly. Why wouldn't God have an optional compassion to provide food and a caring for the woolly pig without dandy's emotion? God was already trying to do that with the resources available. But the additional prayer God does this automatically as well, starts activating the souls of others. So, so what happened in this particular instance is the soul of a man who lived in London at the time was activated to go and visit that particular location. In other words, intuition was a way that God, God interacts with everyone. You see, the problem is that most of us don't follow intuition. Like, you know, we're busy and we have a certain lifestyle or whatever and we're doing certain things. And we, you know, we have a certain feeling to do something and we just go, oh, no, 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 I won't do that, you know, and we just forget about it. But every one of those intuitions comes from external sources, from God, generally. Isn't God so powerful that if he wanted to have a, you know, that child be parented, that that could happen? Isn't that The truth is that God wants every child to be parented. However, why would a person on earth be five years of age and be in a state where they have no food. 
What causes that? Not just parents. Society. Right? So God can't take away the effects of those things. All God can do is motivate other people to take away the effects of those things. Do you understand? For God to take away the effects of those things would mean that God would have broken one of their own laws. So what God does instead is God appeals to other people who are willing to take away the effects of those things in order for these, these things to disappear. So that's one way how God answers prayer. Right? The truth is that all, all of us, if all of us got to the state where we're at harmony with God, there would not be a single person on earth who was without food ever, or without a parent ever. But that's not the reality of what things are because of men walking away from God. So the key thing to remember is that God is trying, is trying to help every single one of her children, but within the constraints of God's own laws. See, if God broke her own law, then you, know, you can see straight away there's going to be lots of problems, because now there's going to be anarchy. Like, and nothing God does is anarchy, is anarchy. Also, can you see if God breaks her own law, then she's no longer God. Why would you establish a law that's not perfect? So, in fact, God will never, ever break her own laws. But she will often motivate others in the constraint of her laws to act in harmony with love, which is what happened in this particular circumstance. Does that make sense? Mary? Isn't that why prayer is so powerful? Because, actually, um, God really wants us to bring our will in line with her love. Yes. So what Danny did was demonstrated that his will was in line with God's love and so then God could act exactly. before that because no one else had demonstrated that will apart from Danny when he was on earth. Yep. Then God couldn't act. Exactly. Yep. So God was there bringing, like waiting for somebody to bring themselves into harmony with her love and then God can act. And God can then motivate that person who's now in harmony with God's love to do many things harmonious with God's love. But it's, that's the thing God is always waiting for with all of us. Now eventually God will get to the point where God will not need to do many of those things in a roundabout way because all of us will be connected to God and are one with God and God can operate directly through us. So the state that I was in in the first century was that state where God could operate directly through me to deal with issues rather than having to work around in a certain, what is the word, circuitous, circuitous manner, which is obviously difficult, but not beyond God's capacity. So the other thing that was required by the dandy as well was this feeling of sincerity. Um, you see, we often pray for things, or think we're praying for things, but we're not really sincere about it. For example, many of you have been praying to connect with your emotions. Would that not be the case? Like many of you feel you've been praying to connect to your emotions. The truth is that many of you are not sincere about it. Now, why would you not be sincere about it? Well, because you might be afraid of your emotions, right? So, how can I at one moment be afraid of my emotions and then pray to feel my emotions? Wouldn't it be better for me, if I was living in truth, wouldn't it be better for me to actually 
pray about the fear I have about dealing with my emotions. Can you see that? You see, if I'm praying about feeling my emotions and the feeling I have inside of me is I don't want to feel my emotions, my emotions are scary, they're going to terrify me, uh, you know, everything's going to go haywire when I feel my emotions in my life, everything's going to be terrible, I don't want to do that. If that's the feeling in me because of fears, and yet I'm saying to God, oh, please help me feel my emotions. Is my prayer sincere? No. It's not sincere. Right? It's only going to become sincere when I actually say, well, actually, God, I don't want to feel my emotions. You know, I don't think it's very good that you made this system where I've got to feel my emotions. <laughs> well, actually, now that I think about it, I like the idea of feeling my good emotions, but not my bad emotions, right? So it would be far better talking to God like this, wouldn't it? So I'm happy to feel my good emotions, but I don't want to feel my bad emotions. And then you'll think, oh, hang on a sec. I'm never going to be one with you like that. Um, so, all right, and um, all right, uh, I don't want to feel my good emotions still, but can you show me all the reasons why I don't want to feel my good emotions? And then we come to an awareness of all the reasons why we don't want to feel our good emotions. And as we become to an awareness of those things, we feel the blockages to feeling our emotions. And, uh, and once those drop away, those beliefs, those false beliefs that are within us drop away, now we can say, I want to feel my emotions. And you know what? The moment we get to, I want to feel my emotions, you're going to really start feeling your emotions. Right? Because you have released the reasons why you didn't want to. Now, the issue with prayer is this. I can pray to God about feeling my emotions till the cows come home, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day as well, and until I die, and I can never feel an emotion unless I actually deal with the issue of why I don't want it. Does that make sense? Because what is God waiting for you? God is waiting for you to be truthful with yourself. Right? I don't want to feel my emotions. That's the truth. If I'm not feeling my emotion right now, I don't want to feel it. That's the truth. So deal with that truth and start talking about that truth. Does that make sense? If you don't do that, you're not being sincere. You might be all emotional and everything, say, so, oh, I've got a terrible life, you know, and, and crying about all these things. But until you actually are sincere, God cannot answer the prayer. Can you see why? Because what we're doing is we're creating a false sense of beliefs within ourselves still. And it's until we actually state the truth of what's going on within ourselves that we'll connect to God. That's when we connect to God, when we're in that state of truth and sincerity. We can also have a lack of earnestness about connecting to God. So, for example, we can say, yeah, I want to connect to my emotions, no worries, and then today I do all of these different things, I'm busy up my life, and the next day I'm busy up my life, and a week's gone past and I have another prayer to go, oh, yeah, I think I want to do it with my emotions. And then, you know, we have this and that happen in our lives. Now, does that sound very uh, earnest to you? <laughs> what do you think it's going to sound earnest to God? Like... And this is why in times of crises often there is that earnestness that arises within us because we want things to fix in those times generally straight away, right? And so then we're more open to, to truth and therefore more be able to be influenced by God. But if we continue to think that we can have a lukewarm attitude to dealing with things, 
We are way out of harmony with love. Because love ain't lukewarm. Love is passionate, hot thing. It doesn't wait for you. It doesn't wait for anything, love doesn't. Love is an instant desire. Does that make sense? Is earnest the same as impatience? No. Impatience is actually driven by an emotion of anger. Whereas earnestness is having a really sincere, earnest desire to make something happen. Putting your whole into it. Right? So totally different qualities. Yeah. So we're not impatient for God, but we're earnest for God. Well, whatever, the, whatever the prayer is about, we're earnest about. For example... Many of you know now that you need to be in harmony with personal truth and you need to be in harmony with truth to connect to God, right? But many of you have not yet made the shift into telling the truth every single moment and every single time in your life when an issue comes up. So if I pray to God, please, I want more of your love to become at one with you. And right at the same time I'm making the choice to not be truthful with every interaction around me, can my prayer be answered? Obviously not. So we need to start to see too that every time we have a prayer, if we're really earnest about it, we will start putting things into action ourselves. And that putting things into action will actually cause huge shifts within our own soul, but also cause us to maintain a connection with God. We need to get into that place where we're totally, 100% honest and truthful about everything and with everyone in our life. No matter what the result is going to be. So, let's say I had in the past stolen money from my employer. He never found out about it. I'm still employed. And this is something that I know right now. This is something that's happened to me right now, let's say. As soon as I made this shift into truth, what would I do? Wouldn't I go to him and say, look, like five years ago I stole, you know, a hundred bucks out of the And would, if you were really sorry about it, if you were really repented about it, you'd probably give him the hundred bucks back, wouldn't you? With interest, probably. <laughs> uh, after five years, it might be now two hundred bucks if you have to give back. So you give him back that, and you would take whatever the results of your actions would be. So if he decided, I can't trust you anymore, I'm sacking you. If he decided that then you would have to go along with that. Does that make sense? Because that would be an act of truth. That's, that's what I mean by staying in truth. Even if you know the results of you telling the truth are going to be what you believe to be negative, at some point when you come to this appreciation of how important truth is, you will still do it. Now, if I'm praying to God, please show me your truth, and yet I know this thing has happened to me in my past and it keeps popping in my mind occasionally, you know, like, you know, things that we're guilty about often have a habit of doing that, don't they? Oh, you're going to pop into my mind again. Don't let them pop out of your mind again. Do something about it. Let yourself feel it. Now, if you're praying to God for truth and now you're acting in truth, can you see that God can respond to that? <coughs> But if you're praying to God for truth and you're acting falsely, 
how can God respond to that? Like, God's going to have to wait. God's going to have to move some other of the people in the universe around who want to listen to God's desires and will and to get you to a state where you actually can see what you're doing. Now, this is happening a lot in the divine love movement today. You know, many of you probably in your own investigations of things that I've been telling you have probably done searches on the internet and you've found 20 different sites all of, on the divine love stuff, all related to the pageant messages and so forth. And they all have their own different, uh, I suppose you could say, their own different communities. Many of them totally get rid of anybody else in the divine love path if they disappoint them. Now, is that love? No. Like, is it love to actually totally banish a person just for the sake of a disagreement? It's not love, is it? Now, it is love if the person, if the person is harming you or attempting to harm you to actually say, well, I can't be with you or speak with you until you stop harming me. But let's define harm. Harm has to be God's perspective of harm, not your own. Does that make sense? So if harm happens to you to be, oh, he told the truth about me on the net, you know, that's not harm from God's perspective. Can you see the difference? Now the problem is for many of, many of these things happening within the divine love movement is that everyone says they have divine love, but if you have divine love, wouldn't you have love with each other? Wouldn't you also have truth with each other? And would you ever say to somebody, oh, you're banned forever from my life? No. So if those things are happening, what's, got, what, what's going on? Obviously not love. Something else is going on, right? So when you analyse things in your life, and you analyse the people that you're with, and you feel things about things going on external to yourself, Ask yourself the question, was that loving? And if it wasn't loving, why aren't you addressing it? So address it with these people. So if you notice on a forum somewhere that someone wasn't loving someone, say that. Stick your nose in and say it. Do you know what I mean? And if you get banned, well, obviously there's another proof that the person's not loving. But let that happen. Do you know what I mean? Allow yourself to work through these issues of why you don't stick up for truth and stick up for love. Now, what will eventually happen is all of these different uh, divine love movements, if we put them in quotation marks, because very few of them are divine love movements, they're actually just verbal, intellectual movements about divine love. The truth is, the divine love movement, the real one on earth, the one that's growing, the only one in fact that's growing, is the one that's going to be connected to God and emotions. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's the only one that will eventually grow. All the others will not grow. I have actually, just lately, because you're just saying that I was the one who was investigating lots and lots of that, and I have read through all of them, I take an evening, and I have not found in any of those movements anyone is dealing with their emotions at all. Exactly. They all pray and claim that they get divine love in puppets. Yeah. But nobody is really talking. And you address it with them and you'll find they'll get angry with you, get upset with you. I'm already banned. Yeah, but yeah, you get banned. You get banned straight away. And if you if, if you say anything about AJ, you'll definitely get banned. You know, I have to. I yeah. was only speaking about emotions. about emotions. Exactly. But do you actually deal with your emotions? 
And they said, we've, we've done that, like, way back. Yeah. And then when you say, no, you haven't, because you've got this emotion and that emotion, then they get upset and yeah. ban it. Yeah. So what's going on there? They are praying for divine love to enter them, but are they receiving divine love? No, they cannot be receiving divine love while they're in a state of untruth, emotionally. It's quite simple. And you can see when a person's not doing it, because they get angry with you when you tell them they're not doing it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Would, like, if you were receiving divine love and you'd received divine love and you knew it was happening and I told you it's not happening for you, would you get angry with me? No, because you'd be in a state of divine love where that wouldn't matter what I thought to you. Does that make sense? But if you get angry with me, obviously, the anger is covering over what? Deeper emotions that are not loving. So loving, anger is not a loving emotion, is it? So obviously, no reflection of love. So the key thing to bear in mind with all of these things that happens externally even, is if I'm not willing to stay in a state of truth and love myself, and then I'm praying to God to receive love, can I expect to continue to receive love constantly in that state? Obviously not. I can't expect to do that. I have to actually do something inside of myself and shift something inside of myself before I will begin receiving divine love again. The other attitude that uh, Dandy had in this illustration I gave earlier was the attitude of thankfulness. You see, after Dandy saw Bully Peg firstly get a big meal, and then this man who gave Bully Peg a big meal arranged for a family to take care of, of, uh, of Bully Peg, when Dandy saw that, what, if you saw that, how would you feel? You'd just be so overwhelmed, wouldn't you? Like, wow, like all I asked for was a meal, and he got a home as well as a meal, right? Wouldn't you just feel that deep, overwhelming thankfulness? And that's another part of our prayers to God. It's so important for us to, to, to look at this issue of thankfulness. You see, a lot of times we're not actually thankful. See, many times you see people sitting down for a meal, right? They pray to God, thank you for the meal, and then they argue in the table right, with the person who made the meal. Now, is that thankful? Obviously not. So deal with that. You need to deal with that emotionally. Oftentimes what happens with us is we receive things without notice. We don't notice what we're receiving. And one thing, one thing that God wants us to do is to become very aware of what we have received. And when, when we're like a child, you will feel a deep awareness of everything you've received that has been good in your life. And you'll feel a deep feeling of thankfulness to God about that. So thankfulness and gratitude is so important in your own progression. Thank God for what God has already done for you. For many of you, many of you have this resonant feeling in your hearts that, that you're learning truth when you come along to these sessions. I know that many of you have spoken to me and said that for the first time in your life you've felt like the truth and you've been many of you have been searching for truth for years and years and years. Have you thanked God for that? Because that, that's all, God, God rewarded your seeking, but are we thankful for God for that? And often when we're thankful, or we say we're thankful, we don't act thankful. 
So, for example, if you receive a truth and you know it to be a truth in your heart, but you don't act upon that truth in your life, are you really thankful? What do you think? If you know it's the truth in your heart and you don't act upon the truth in your life, are you thankful for receiving that truth? Obviously not. Can you see? Wouldn't you then need to look at that emotionally? What's going on inside of me emotionally that would cause me to think that I'm thankful? I know it's the truth that I just heard, and yet I haven't acted upon it. What inside of me would cause me to do that? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be part of thankfulness to analyse that, to look at myself with that, and ask myself why I haven't acted upon that truth? So, you see, it's one thing to say thank you, quite another thing to actually be thankful. Carol? AJ, do you think it's possible to use gratefulness as a tool to suppress your emotions? Definitely, yes. <laughs> So-called spirit of thankfulness can be used... Like, and the truth is we can use lots of things to suppress our emotions. But one way we can use so-called gratefulness to suppress our emotions is to say, oh, I'm so grateful for the life my family gave to me when I was growing up. And then because I'm so grateful, I don't want to look at the fact that mum, you know, dad abused mum and mum, mum had a had a you know had an affair and then my younger brother did this, you know, and I don't want to look at all the things going on emotionally that affected me. So quite often we use excuses to not analyse our emotions. Now, we need to remember that God understands our soul. So God knows when we're doing this. God knows when we're using even something like thankfulness, in quotation marks now, in an unreal state. And you see, this is why it's so important to never deceive yourself with your own emotion. And you notice, like, next month, I've got to talk about that now. Like, I'm doing a talk next month it's called Emotions of Self-Deception. The reason why is because oftentimes we prevent our truthful state of being by having a whole group of emotions of self-deception, many of which look on the outside to be good and loving, but actually on the inside are full, full of, as I said in the first century, dead men's bones, you know, like full of smelly things that we don't want to smell or look at. Right? And that's what we often do in our, in our lives now, we often use things that on the outside look good, but on the inside, we're actually using them to run away from ourselves. So God sees that. God sees us as we truly are. Many of you who have already began your emotional work have become quite shocked sometimes at what you've seen within yourself. Have you felt that? Like, when you started to actually look, you think, oh, no, what have I been, you know... Gee, what a, you know, things even that you thought were quite good about yourself, right? And then you see your motive for doing it, and oh, wow, your motive's like, I needed something from them, or I used them for sex, or I did this for something else, you know? Like, a lot of times there's this bartering system going on inside of us, and we start becoming aware of it. Well, that's part of truthfulness with God. You see, God wants you to become truthful with yourself and with God about those things. If you're not truthful with yourself and God about those things, then God's love eventually can't flow into you. So you'll receive a bit of love until such time as the truth is always being compromised, and then you'll receive no more. Can you see that? 
or you will receive a bit of love until you're no longer sincere about dealing with something, and then you will receive no more. Or you will receive a bit of love until you're no longer earnest, until you no longer have a sincere desire, right? And then you will receive no more. And this is why a lot of people on the Divine Love Path, when they first find the path, they read sometimes the pageant messages or whatever, they feel a soul connection with what's going on, and they feel the inflow of divine love, and then it stops. And then for the next 25 years, it never starts again. And there's many people on the earth in that condition. <coughs> the reason why they're not continuing to receive is because their prayers are not sincere, they're not honest, they're not truthful, they're not open, they're not thankful, they're not earnest. And it's the prayers that need to be sorted out. And when they sort out their prayer, change will come within. And things will happen around it automatically. Now, you notice that I've included all those things I've just mentioned under that section, essential elements of prayer. So, if there's anything you take home from this discussion about prayer, try to take home those essential elements of prayer. And utilize those essential elements in your life with regard to prayer. What I've done after that is I've tried to be a bit more specific about what kinds of prayers or the content of prayer. And this is why I've got content, what will be heard by God, and then I've got another section, content, what won't be heard by God. And what we'll do is, we'll, we might not go through all of these today, but they're there for your, for your appraisal and you can look through them at your own time. But there are some that I would like to cover with you in a lot of detail. The reason why is the majority of people have trouble with some of these points with regard to prayer. The first one is prayer about causes rather than effects rather than causes. I'd just like to read you a pageant message. This was written by a friend of mine. Many of you would have heard of Elijah. And Elias is his name in the spirit world. And he was a prophet, uh, so-called prophet, uh, very early times in Israel's history. And he was around on earth around 1,800 years before I arrived on the earth. And I eventually uh, got to meet him when I passed because he was one of my guides. So Elias was one of my guides in the first century. But this is what he said to Paget: I am here. Elias, the prophet of old. I will write a short message tonight as it's late and you are tired. Well, I desire to say that the message you receive from the Master contains some of the most important truths affecting the relationship of God to man in his worldly or material living. Every truth that was uttered has in it an element which shows that man, to a certain extent, must expect and know that God will not interfere with the law of compensation as to its effects and results. Only will he help man to remove the causes that so certainly entail the results. And the sooner men know this and more thoroughly understand it, they will become able to avoid the consequences of sin and the violation of law, and also understand that no prayer will cause God to respond where a suspension or a setting aside of his laws or their workings are necessary. He will respond to prayer where that prayer asks for the removal of causes, but never when it applies only to effects. 
This truth men should learn and in their prayers ask for those things or causes which in compliance with the law of compensation bring about results that are harmful for them to be removed or eliminated from their acts and deeds as well as from their desires. I could write a long message on this subject but I won't do so now as you are just not in the condition to receive it. I'll come soon and write at length and so with my love I'll say goodnight, your brother in Christ, Elias. Now, Paget was never in the condition after that to actually receive a longer message on that subject. Um, and it's probably that subject that I'd like to spend a bit of time on now. And that is the subject that God does not listen to prayers that address effects. Effects. So God does not listen to prayers that address effects. And I'll explain what I mean by effects. He only listens to prayers that address causes. Now, let's look at how man works. Let's look at all of man's laws generally. Like, for example, the law of speeding. You know, you exceed 100 k's along the highway. You get, you know, if it's 107 k's or 115 k's or 121, you get a different fine as you go up. And eventually, what is it, a 150 or 60 k's of suspension of license, removed, whatever. All of that is just dealing with an effect. Can you see why? You're not dealing with the cause of why a person speeds. You're only dealing with the fact that they have sped. None of God's laws are like that. All of God's laws address the causes of what we do, rather than the effects. Now, that being the case, if we pray about an effect being removed from something that we've done in our life, and we don't want to address the cause, God cannot assist us. Big, a big example with this is many people, when they get an incurable, if I put that in quotation marks, disease, they will often pray to God about the removal of the disease. But what are they praying about? They're praying the for the removal of the effect. Can God answer that prayer? No. But God can answer a prayer where I pray for the removal of the cause within me, and to do to be removed, it's going to have to be felt by me, isn't it? The removal or the experience of the cause within me that causes me to have this incurable disease. Now, God can answer that prayer. God can answer that prayer directly. Can you see the difference? The reason why God never answers a prayer that deals with effects is really quite simple. If God takes away the effect, he is actually breaking one of his own laws. In fact, not only just one of his own laws, there are quite a lot of laws he's breaking of his own if he takes away the effect. There actually is actually a law of cause and effect. There is also a law of compensation. Or you could think of it as karma, what you sow, you will reap. Now, those laws have been put into place specifically to correct us. For example, if you had a young child and you told the child that the stove was hot, but the child didn't have a physiological response in their body where if they put their finger on the stove they felt a sensation of burning. What would happen to that child if it put its finger on the stove? 
it would just lay its finger on the stove and eventually the finger would smolder and smolder, then burn and smell the smell of burning flesh and eventually the finger would burn away, wouldn't it? And yet that child would not feel any effect. Now God doesn't do that. God always wants you to feel the effect of something that is happening to you. Always. But what he wants is for you to address the cause. Right? And when you address the causes, and you pray about causes, God can answer those prayers. So, I've given some examples in the outline. If you look at uh, page... Uh, two, yep. You see this a lot where parents sometimes become so embroiled in children's emotions. Like, like, often parents are so distressed by their children's emotions, they spend a lot of time praying to God about their child changing their behaviour. That is a total skipping over of the fact that the parent is creating the child's behaviour. So therefore, it is an effect. Can God change that or help that situation? No, not until you realise that actually the effect, which is your child's behaviour, has a cause inside of you that you're suppressing. Does that make sense? When you connect with the fact that it has a cause with inside you that you're suppressing and you pray about that, now God can help you. And you'll find help very rapidly in most cases under these circumstances. And within a few <coughs> moments even sometimes, the child no longer has that effect. You see, everything God has done is put there to show you when things are not harmonious with love. So every tiny bit of pain you are experiencing in your life, physical or emotional, is the complete effect of a cause. And if you don't want to see the cause, those pains will continue. Now, we have whole systems on earth totally dedicated to removing effects. The pharmaceutical system on earth is totally dedicated to taking away the effect. Right? We have law upon law upon law that's established in our world, politically, to take away effects. They don't deal with causes. Is it effective? No. No, because we still keep getting the same effects. Right? And it's amazing how much in every single walk of life, if you analyse it in every single walk of life, sexually, emotionally, politically, environmentally, in all these different areas, in terms of economically, you will see that the whole world is geared towards modifying and changing effects. God doesn't do that. God doesn't touch any of those systems for that reason. Because all God is interested in addressing is causes. Does that make sense? Hey, Jane. Um, hey, Jane. When we, we think of prayer and, and asking God for things for ourselves, what about when we pray for somebody else? Yep. Um, if somebody's healed, and yep. we pray for healing, yep. 
If if we pray for healing and the person's healed, there are usually one or two things occur. One is that there are many spirits in the spirit world, in the sixth year and lower, who are totally dedicated to healing people on earth who are not dealing with causes. So there are literally billions of spirits in the spirit world who will assist a healing in of a person that is not addressing the cause of the reason why they got the injury in the first place, or the illness in the first place. Does that make sense? It is a total ineffectual waste of energy, though, because in the end, whether the person's healed or not, the emotional cause is still within them. They'll either get the sickness again or another similar sickness, or they'll never address the emotional cause, which is harmful to their soul anyway. So a divine love spirit would never respond to a healing where the cause is not dealt with. Can you see that? But there are like literally billions of natural love spirits who will. And so often when you pray for a healing, it's not God actually doing the healing, but actually a spirit feeling your intention, <coughs> which is an intention of love. But, and so God actually feels your intention of love for the person, certainly. And... And, but it's the spirit who's feeling the same intention and they go and heal that person or attempt to heal that person. That's one set of circumstances. The other set of circumstances is where the person themselves is encouraged by the spirits around them to actually feel their causal emotion about their sickness. Now under those circumstances, a divine love spirit will assist in the healing of that person and the person will be healed because the person has addressed the cause of the illness within them. Does that make sense? So in each case, there is either an avoidance of dealing with the cause or an actual dealing of the cause, which results in the results given. The issue is, um, obviously, our desire to for somebody else's pain to reduce is a pure desire on our part. But... Oftentimes their pain is the result of their own suppression of emotions that they don't want to face. And so this is where it gets down to what would you do if you were a person with divine love on earth with healing compared to natural love on earth with healing. Well, when you're a person with natural love on earth and doing healing, you'll be tempted to heal anyone you can heal. And there'll be literally hundreds or if not thousands and if not hundreds of thousands of people coming to you for healing. Many of you have heard of John of God, yes? Well, John of God, although he has received some divine love, doesn't understand the principles of divine love, and many times is healing with natural love spirits help. Right? But he also has a divine love spirit helping him heal. And the divine love spirit, which is one of the softest and gentlest spirits that surround him, will only heal when the person who's being healed wants to deal with the causal emotion. And John of God himself doesn't understand why this most sensitive spirit that he recognises as the most sensitive spirit around him actually comes to him under certain circumstances. He doesn't recognise what those circumstances are. But the circumstances are that that person, can, the spirit, can connect through John of God to heal that person because that person is wanting to deal with their causes. And this is a major issue with all, for all of us who are attempting to maybe do healing in the future. And we'll talk a bit about this in the healing sessions in the future as well. And that is, when the person that we're trying to heal doesn't want to deal with the cause, 
your power is severely diminished to assist them. Because their own physical soul is generating the problem. All illness is the result of the soul having these blocked, blocked emotions, which then create the illness in the physical form and the spirit body, right? So if the person's soul, which is the cause of any emotional, any physical illness, if the person's soul isn't addressed in some way, then the person is going to recreate the same kind of problems and issues. Does that make sense? And so any healing that you do under those circumstances is going to be severely affected by the fact that their soul is working totally the opposite to the way you want it to work. So it's very important if we're, and even in the medical profession, it's very important that we start seeing things with the, at the causal level. If we see things at the causal level, then things can change quite rapidly. No, but there is a law you're breaking by wanting to die. So, exactly. Remember, I said before that God's emotions towards us and our emotions need to be resonant in order for God to respond. Now, if I want to die, but God doesn't want me to, obviously, God wants God created me to live, not to die, in any sense. And so, God also wants me to respect this physical body of my own. So, if I then don't respect it, then I'm out of harmony with God's desire for myself. So, I'm disconnecting myself from God. And so, in every single case, you'll find that there is some kind of disconnection between why my thoughts about myself and God's thoughts about me. The key for me is to start addressing the reasons for that. So if I have a feeling I want to die, I need to feel what that's about. So I need to feel the feeling, yes. I need to actually allow that feeling to pass through me. And I need to allow it to be felt. And then I'll connect with the reasons and I'll probably grieve. And when I do that, the emotion will be gone and I'll no longer want to die. Is that a lot of people at the end of life who are accepting of um, yeah, having acceptance of, of the fact that you're dying and wanting to die are two different things. But remember too, we're dealing <coughs> right at the moment with an imperfect system because the only reason why these bodies die, these bodies that we have died, is because of the stored unhealed emotions within these bodies. And what often happens is a person gets to a certain age in their life where they have so much stored unhealed emotion within them that they have no desire to actually address and they accept the inevitable that they physical body dies. So they pass. But the problem is when they pass is they still are in the same emotional condition. So they are still in the state of suppressing their emotions. They're still in the state of suppressing the exact emotions that killed them. Right? And unfortunately, because they're in that suppressed state and they never learned how to get out of that suppressed state on earth, they will have a lot of difficulty on, in the spirit world getting out of that state as well. And that's why many of the spirits we have talked to 
have spent hundreds of years in a suppressed state, maybe a state of fear or a state, whatever that suppressed state is, because they learned to do that on earth and never got out of that on earth. And when they pass in the spirit world, it's much easier to do something, whether it's suppressive or emotive. So, so when I pass in the spirit world, if I'm used to suppression, I'm going to suppress even more. When I pass in the spirit world I'm on, and I'm trying to open up emotionally, I'll open up emotionally even more. Does that make sense? And that's what's happening with a lot of our physical diseases on earth. Or even just dying from old age. From God's perspective, there is no old age. Right? Our body is totally able to continuously repair itself, as you know, in the medical profession, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, that process degenerates. It's, it, it stops happening. Like, it happens all the way through our formative years, it happens all the way through our teenage years, we get into young adulthood and it starts degrading. Why is that? It's because of the emotions that are being suppressed, now suppressed upon the body, shutting the body down, shutting it down at all of its function, and just causing disease in the body, which eventually kills us. And that's why we get our wrinkles and lines across our face. Right? And that's why we get all of these other problems that inside of us that start occurring because we're suppressing the underlying emotion. Once we address the cause, many of, us, many of you here will live for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you want. Many of you will. Because you'll get to a point where you'll deal with the emotional causes and you will actually then start growing younger. So you won't be, you won't be 250 years old and your face be like a broom. <laughs> you'll be 250 years old and you'll look like you're 25. And you'll feel like you're 25. This is what happens in the spirit world as you go through the different spheres. Once you get to the seventh, sixth sphere of the spirit world, you are normally around the age of 25 in terms of bodily. When you progress beyond that, obviously your soul is expanding in different ways other than affecting physical forms. But, but you will get to a point on earth where you're like that. It's just a matter of working through the causes. It's always the causes. I have a question. You said before that uh, when the child is not okay, that the cause is by the mother. But then you can go from the mother to the mother to the... Okay? To the grandmother. Of the, yeah, yeah, how exactly. does it work? I um, mean, somewhere must this cause be taken away, released. Well, remember, these emotions enter each generation. So at each generation, the emotion can be taken away. In the parenting children discussion that we had, um, we've addressed all of those issues of how emotions get transgenerationally imposed upon each generation. And so my suggestion is have a listen to that, that discussion because it, that addresses all of the transgenerational emotional injuries and how they occur and how they can be released as well. So that discussion covers that question. Um, they may feel the sensations of paralysis, but they will not be paralysed. So, for example, if let's say any condition that happens here on Earth. So let's say I had Down syndrome while I'm on Earth. When I pass, I may still feel the sensations of Down syndrome, but not actually have it. You can right? move. You can move forward, yes. In every single case, you can move forward. But with regard to many of these things, what happens is the spirits 
get, go across in a certain state, for instance, having Down syndrome, and remain in that fictional state now, because it's only a fictional state, it's not reality, they remain in that state until someone shows them they can get out of that state. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing a lot of the mediumship stuff come, you know, with these mediumship sessions. It's because there are whole groups of people who have passed in the spirit world who are in these fictional states of existence. They believe themselves to be confined to these existences. Mostly because that belief has entered them through their parents or through their environment or through their religion. And they are then fixed into a certain state until they have an awareness that that doesn't need to be the case. And one of the reasons, one of the main things we'd like to achieve with the mediumship exercises is to actually move them from that state and out into the awareness state where they don't have to be constrained by those illnesses. So there are many people who die of cancer on earth who still believe themselves to have cancer in the spirit world, for example. And it's only when they realise or somebody tells them or you know, through their interactions with other people that that's not the case, that they begin to progress and work on the emotion that caused them to have the cancer, for example. Would Gloria, for example, know now she has arrived in spirit world and she had done quite an amount of work here, she didn't want to do all of the work to do to remove the cause of the cancer, but yep. she is well aware of, of how it goes. Gloria it did it. Yeah, Gloria did a lot of emotional work about other issues other than her cancer, but unfortunately, she did not deal with the main issue that was affecting her cancer, and so she passed because the cancer eventually uh, killed her. Now, when she passes into the spirit world, usually the first, you know, the first week or two in the spirit world, you go through these emotions of oh, having a lot of freedom for a start. Now, for many who pass with cancers or other diseases, they they kept asleep for many for a long time. But in case of someone like Gloria, because she knows a lot about the spirit world through her learning, it's unlikely she'd be kept kept asleep. So what would normally happen is she'd be firstly flitting around to all the people on earth, checking them all out. What does this person really feel about me? What does that person really feel about me? And honestly, you find a lot of really revealing things when you, when you do that. You, you will notice this when you pass. And, and, uh, and so you, you, you find a lot of so-called truth out, you know, that you weren't aware of when you were here. You find out how really people, people really think of you and how they really feel about you. There's a lot of emotions that come up during that process, obviously. Then you go through this phase, usually after your memorial service or you know after the first week or so, you go through this phase of settling, sort of settling into the spirit world. And uh, and I talked to Gloria, and she hadn't even uh, looked at herself in the mirror yet. You know what I mean? So so I encourage you to do that because when you look in the mirror, you can see the different areas of your spirit body that are affected by emotion. And so when she did that, she could see that actually she still had the cancerous emotion. Right. So now she's going through a little phase of anger about that. Right. Anger that with all the emotional work she did, she still didn't access the cancerous emotion that caused her own death. Once she gets through that phase of feeling those emotions, what she'll do is she'll come to, to realise actually that what the emotion was, and she, she can easily be told by another spirit what the emotion is. It's an emotion of wanting men to do what she wants by getting them to do it through through manipulative means. And uh, and once she works through that emotion, right, 
which he could probably do in a day or two, actually. And to be frank, could have done in a day or two or a week or two on Earth as well. No, she was aware because I've told her about the emotion. Yeah. So, so I've spoken to her specifically that that was the emotion. But she must have really denied it. Exactly. To the end, she would not admit that that was the emotion. No, she even had dreams about that being the case, but but did not affecting her emotionally. So, and also, of course, like in her living environment, you know where she was living, no one around her wanted her to believe that either, of course. Because when you, when you start looking at a lot of emotions within yourself and you start feeling them, you start feeling really terrible about yourself. And, and a lot of people obviously don't want that to happen when you're going through cancer or something like that. So, so a lot of times people around us also shut us down from actually experiencing the emotion. But she'll probably go through that emotion in a week or two. And once she's gone through that emotion... Because she's already received a lot of divine love, she'll move to a new location, right? And once she's in the new location, she's just going to have a wonderful time progressing after that, you know, working through other emotions. Because once you learn how to work through the first one, obviously the other ones that are there become a lot more simple to work on. So that's generally what happens to many people who pass. Like, they go through these initial phase of... You know, joy flitting around from here to there, talking to everyone they can who's mediumistic and all that kind of stuff. And then they go through this phase of realizing, of actually feeling a realization of what my condition is. And then they go through a phase generally of either denying that or wanting to deal with that. And then they go through, you know, the process. Once they learn how to deal with it, either on the natural love path or the divine love path, usually they follow that same path in dealing with any other issue. But we're a bit off the subject, Fred. And um, actually, it's three o'clock. So what we'll do? I want to address this issue of causes far more with you after the break. But if we can have a half an hour, forty minutes or so break, and it's so nice to see you reflecting well. And just a few uh, housekeeping things I'd like to talk about before we get started again, and that way I won't have to talk about them just when you're going home. Um, Many of you have been looking for the pageant messages in printed form. Um, there's a lady in, oh, sorry, a man in uh, Arizona who Joseph Davinsky, his name is, and he compiled all of the pageant messages in um, chronological order. And then a lady in Australia, Zara Borthwick, her name is. Um, Publish this volume, which you can find on Lulu. So www.lulu.com. It's fifty-four dollars US. Um, it's cheaper on Amazon. It's, cheap, it's cheaper on Amazon, so it might be better at postage. Joseph actually admits he was recommended as Yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, if you will get contacted by Zara if you buy this book. And Zara doesn't like me very much at this point, so I'll just warn you that in advance. Joseph himself has made five volumes in chronological order, but they're smaller, smaller books, so they're a bit easier to take travelling with you or whatever. And book, I think he's got five books, and they're based on the date, so 1914, 1915, 1916, and so forth. And they're also valued for about the same price, I think, all up. So when you add them all together, you get about the same price. So the pageant messages that are on the Divine Truth disc, are they 
No, these are all of those pageant messages that are edited to be in chronological order. All the stuff that's on the discs is not in chronological order. So the beauty of having it in chronological order is that you actually see the development of pageant as a medium uh, through the discussion. So it's a, I do feel that reading them in chronological order is actually, you'll probably find it much more interesting. Uh, whereas the, the way that other pageant messages are generally put together is by subject or, or some other method. Um, whereas these are all in just the chronological order. No, no, they're not. Um, it's, it, they're very, on this one book, if you get the one book, they're in very small type, and so if you're hard of reading or whatever, you may find that the five books are better. The five books are actually smaller, but uh, I think the type is a little larger, and um, they're also probably more carryable, you know, in the sense of if you chuck it in a handbag or something like that, whereas this obviously is a pretty unwieldy piece of equipment. But they are available in printed form, should you wish to read them. My suggestion is to read them um, if you haven't already begun doing so. You will find them very enlightening. And with all the material that we've been through together so far, you'll find that uh, you'll understand what's going on in the messages quite well. And you'll also feel a deep connection to some spirits uh, as well as your reading, so that it, it will pull up your feelings towards it. Pete? Since I started reading them, I didn't really get into the disc so much on the computer, but since I started reading them for the last week or so, I've really got totally captivated by them. I've through the first couple hundred pages, doing it every night for an hour or more, and it, you know, it really is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had mine printed up and I just read one or two before I go to bed and it's just a really nice note to end the day on. Yeah. It's a really good space to sleep. Yeah, you'll find uh, as you read them it will just connect you with the higher truths uh, and so you, your soul will sort of sing with it. Uh, yeah. Uh, on Amazon, I think. Uh, and also Lulu and Lulu. They're both available in both of those sites. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to mention to you before we get started again is uh, many people are now starting to get interested in maybe having some kind of divine love community. Um, so there's been an idea of uh, buying some land, maybe, maybe 600 acres or 1,000 acres or so, and then putting together some kind of communal living type thing where people are focused on dealing with their emotions and working through stuff together and, and also um, preparing for the future in terms of what life will be like in a, in a, in a, in a, in a divine love sense, in a real, you know, in a real environment. And, and so what we're thinking of doing is actually having a discussion um, uh, where I'll present a lot of the things that happen in the spirit world about living in communities. And, uh, and also some physics, some suggestions about how to make that happen on Earth. Um, now, um, we were thinking about when to do that. Um, and there is, there is uh, some people already looking at, at land and things like that, so... Uh, about the block. <laughs> there's, a, there's a block that's about a kilometre away from where I live, that's uh, 600 acres. Um, which would be ideally suited to that kind of living. Uh, sorry, is it called? Bethany. <laughs> and uh, it, it's 
it's um, it's quite because uh, where I live, uh, land is a lot cheaper than what you have here on the coast. Um, six hundred acres is four hundred thousand out there, whereas six hundred acres here is more like three or four million, probably. <laughs> um, it's a uh, it, it's something that uh, what I'd like to do is just. Pre I don't want. I don't want to do it for you. Um, I don't want to actually. I might actually invest or, or be a part of it in the sense that myself and Mary feel like we would like to have a lot of locations around the earth that we don't actually own, but we actually have a home to visit when we're in that particular part of the earth. And um, and so, it being near where we live currently. Um, we feel that the whole region of where we live currently, or I feel I should probably say, Mary hasn't had too many feelings about this, but I feel where we live currently is going to be one of the centres um, of spiritual development in the future, and that's one of the reasons why I chose land out there. And it also is ideally suited to earth change stuff uh, in terms of what will happen with regards to earth changes. Um, and that being said, I don't want you to focus on earth changes as the motive. Um, because the, the motive should always be soul development, whatever you do. Um, but I would like to discuss with you some principles about how things operate in the spirit world, but also some principles about how to actually have something happening here on the earth where people can work through emotions and prepare for earth change events, and, but, but also in the process do all of their emotional processing. And so what we would like to do is probably arrange a time when we can do that that would suit the majority of the people who would be interested in being a part of that kind of a project. And um, please bear in mind that I'm not selling this project. <laughs> All right? um, I just, I'm just saying I'll present some principles to you. Jenny? Money shouldn't be an issue. No. Money's not an issue. When you have your desire... Um, you'll find the funds will come anyway. So, so if you feel the reason why money also is an issue is because um, this uh, property around 600 acres or so would support easily 30 to 40 um, people on uh, families on it easily. And so, you know, we could easily have 30 to 40 people investing, like you know, ten thousand dollars a piece, for example, initially, and uh, and. And then we could, and then we'll just see how it goes from there on. And the best way for me to do this is explain it to you in detail rather than giving you a brief overview right now. So the key thing is when do we do this detailed discussion? Um, straight away, most <laughs> people are saying. And tonight, <laughs> I might need a rest tonight. What we were thinking: um, how many of you have travelled here some distance? And I'm only staying for the weekend, like, so quite a few, okay. Um, yeah, we might, can we make it maybe tomorrow morning? Um, at about 10.30 uh, or something like that? Um, for those who are interested. Um, you're interested? Um, Hands up those people who are interested and can come, and those who are interested. Who's interested and can come if it happened, say, about uh, maybe 10.30 tomorrow morning? Um, who who it would be able to come if it was like 
Well, tomorrow night's going to be a bit hard for me because I've just have spoken for four hours, so um, you it's either way, isn't it? Um, <laughs> we were thinking maybe Monday evening, but uh, obviously all those people that have travelled won't be able to make that. Yeah, but then we have to find a venue, and, and Peter and Claire won't be here either, so they're overseas. So. Tomorrow morning. What about tonight? I asked how many people are actually interested in the whole thing. How many are interested in the whole thing? How many of you won't be able to make it tomorrow morning? It's quite a lot. Okay. How many of you could, if we had a break, uh, if I finished off, say, at five-ish, and I said we meet again at seven tonight, how many, or 7.30 tonight, how many of you could make that? Could everyone make that? No. Okay. So whatever we do, we're going to miss out on something. Well, it's going to be hopefully recorded. So anyway, those of you miss out, you're going to perhaps listen to the recording. So let's make it, uh, can we make it 10.30 in the morning then? Uh, tomorrow morning? So how many of you will make it if it's 10.30 tomorrow morning? Okay, so the majority. How many of you won't make it, but you would be interested still if it was 10.30 tomorrow morning? So that's the least amount. So, okay, so that's our best bet is to do that tomorrow morning at 10.30. So what I'll be talking about is, is um, firstly, just talking about um, some principles about what will happen in the future once people are at one with God. Um, so I want to give you a bit of a skeleton. The reason why I want to give you a bit of a skeleton about what we will be doing here on Earth when we're at one with God is because many of you have never heard me discuss those matters um, and also probably are thinking in quite limited ways uh, than what um, I'm actually thinking. <laughs> and so what we'd like to do is to just expand your mind a little bit that for, for the first, say, half an hour to an hour. And then the last half an hour, we'd like to present a little bit of information maybe about some, about some principles of what to look for if you're interested in setting up such a thing and being a part of such a thing. And the reason why we'd like to take it is because we feel that there will be probably people around the world who would be interested in doing and setting up similar things. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a background about that. So by the sounds of it, some of you are quite keen about it. Is that, would that be right? That's good. I think it's a wonderful idea myself. Um, but of course it depends very much on how it's managed. Many of you who have previously lived in communities know there's a lot of infighting generally. And you also know that, you know, when there's a committee structure, what happens is the person at the lowest common denominator in terms of development usually is what everybody conforms to. So in other words, the person who yells the loudest and screams the longest is the person who gets what he wants. And that's not what we want to occur in this situation. Obviously, that's not harmonious with divine love. And so what we're going to do is stretch your feelings quite a lot when it comes to this community idea. So when we present that tomorrow, um, I'm sure you'll feel a little different. Now, some of you are going to be very, very challenged because many of you are so used to having control. <laughs> Who loves control? <laughs> and particularly many of you are very used to having financial control and so there are certain issues that will be faced in all of that for you emotionally 
And uh, I'm not saying that I want financial control because I don't want any control. <laughs> um, but I'll be one of those persons who will be being controlled. Um, but the, the situation will be more based around what's harmonious with divine love. So that's why I want to tell you a little bit about how the spirit world works in terms of communities and, and, and cities that are in the spirit world. Does that sound interesting enough? Yes. Okay. And um, probably won't be long enough, an hour and a half, you know how I go on. But um, we might, what we may finish up doing is with the mediumship discussion, maybe starting a little later if we finish the other one in 12.30 or something like that and have a bit of a break. So we'll have probably a day tomorrow starting 10.30, break about 12.30 to 1.30, starting at 1.30, maybe have a break about 3.30, 4.30, start again to 5.30, something like that. Something like that. That's probably how the day is going to pan out. Sound all right? Yes. Okay. Well, let's get back to these uh, the really important discussion. <laughs> A lot of you are keen about that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the first the first thing that makes anything happen is desire, is it not? So that's really really lovely. And and to be frank with you, there are many I've already selected many locations around the world for these kind of things to occur. Um, so I've got locations that I've got in my mind that I haven't told anybody about in different places around the world. And uh, there are three locations that I've got in my mind in Australia. Um, one's on the west coast, two are here, and then there are ones uh, overseas in different countries um, that I've got my heart set on. So we'll see what happens in time with all of those. <coughs> There's South America, I've got some. There's one in Barbados as well that I've got my eye on. And there's uh, one in Canada, one in the USA. Um, I'm looking at Vietnam as well, South Africa. So hopefully in the end, what I'm looking for for myself is a little tiny cabin in each one of these locations. But it actually won't be a cabin. My concept of a cabin and yours are probably a little different. And, uh, but uh, many of you would have had some uh, dreams or visions at some time in your previous existence, up until this point, of uh, domed-based structures. Uh, many of you probably uh, had visions of these things. And the reason why is that there's been a heavy influence from the spirit world about that. So in the end, what we'll be doing is creating some very unique, special structures on these, on these blocks of land. So what we do at this stage is just temporary. So that's the other thing you'll need to keep in mind in our discussion tomorrow. Will you be teleporting around the world? That's the idea. <laughs> I hope you will be too. We'll have a whole... <laughs> we'll all cruise around. Is <laughs> there any problem with that, do you? No. No. Yeah. no, you don't worry about it. By then, authorities won't worry about it. Well, you think about it. With world change events, is they're going to be too worried about a lot of other things than worried about you flicking from place to place. So, so in the end, there won't be anything like you know visas or passports or all those things. You wouldn't be able to carry them on you anyway because you will arrive in most places naked. So. <laughs>
well, the other thing I forgot to mention is that you can materialize clothes if you do it. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd scare you a bit first. <laughs> Deal with those body images. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to the discussion about prayer. The, the important thing we were just discussing before we break was this issue of cause and effect. And that prayers about causes are the most important thing to remember. And if you start thinking about it from a purely reasonable point of view, you can understand why God operates in this way. Because if you were operating from the point of view that you were fixing up effects all the time, you, you imagine God being going around to everybody, everybody's life, fixing up all the effects constantly. Like, he'd be one very busy God, would he not? Particularly with the amount of damage one of us can do, let alone, right? So he'd be going around, you know, fixing up all of the effects in your life. And the problem with that is that it creates people who don't care about what they're doing. And so one of the primary reasons why God only addresses causes is because he wants you to understand what you're creating. Remember, one of the things in this growth on the divine love path is about you becoming a creator. So at the beginning, you feel you're not creating very much at all, but actually you are creating lots of things. It just happens to be many painful things. And then as you grow... <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing about that. <laughs> but then as you grow, you sort of go to a state where you start creating... You start creating things that are far less painful and far more imaginative and creative and, and beautiful. And so, so as that process occurs, if you're not aware of the effects of your creations, you can do some very big damage, can't you? Not only to your own lives, but to the lives of others. So God is very interested in making sure that you understand the effects of what you create. So what better way for you to understand the effects of what you create than actually you feel the effects of what you create? So a lot of God's laws are actually based around you feeling the effects of your own creations. So if there are painful creations, then it is because I am out of harmony with divine love in some way. And I need to feel the effect of my painful creations. So if I'm experiencing personal pain, I need to understand, whatever the pain is on a physical or emotional level, I need to understand that that is the effect of my own creation. Now once I understand that basic principle, I'm now very careful about making sure that all of my creations are harmonious with love. And that is the reason why God addresses prayers that are to do with causes and not to deal with effects. If he dealt with effects, you could go on creating all of these very painful things and not have any painful result to yourself, which would actually be quite damaging to your environment and to yourself. So it's very important that you understand that there are effects and God can't solve effects for you. You need to deal with the causes. God can help you with the causes. So pray about the causes. Other reasons, uh, other you notice down through the list of contents that will be heard, by, or prayers that will be heard by God, I've got prayers that are harmonious with free will. Many times you see people praying for things 
that is not actually harmonious with the free will of others or even their own free will. One that you brought up earlier was that issue of I want my God's will to be my will. Now God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to express your will in its most powerful form, which will be when you are completely in harmony with divine love. That's what God wants. So God wants you to work out what you want. And if it's in disharmony with love, deal with that emotionally. If it's harmonious with love, act upon it immediately. That's what God wants for you to do. So, if I'm praying that God tell me what God's will is for me, all God can really say to me is, actually, my will for you is that you find out what your will is. <laughs> if that made sense. That's really all God can say. And then find out not only what your will is, but if it's harmonious with love, go and do it. If it's not harmonious with love, deal with the emotions inside of yourself that cause you to feel the way you feel. That's really all God can say to us with a prayer like that. But if we start praying about things like um, affecting other people's will, for example, you know, um, uh, I know who my soulmate is. God, can you just make him, <laughs> or whatever, you know, want to know me or want to love me? You know? Cupid, draw back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't either know that. That's a prayer, but, but what you're basically doing is asking somebody, asking God to change somebody's heart for you. Yeah. Now, can God do that? No. Obviously not, right? So, so you can't let you know, yourself believe that God is actually going to change other people for you. However, you could pray that whatever the emotions are within your soulmate that causes your soulmate not to have a soulmate connection, that your soulmates assisted in dealing with those emotions, couldn't you? Right? That's certainly a valid prayer in harmony with love. Can you see the difference? One is saying, you know, do this for me. The other one is saying, do it for the person. Right? What, you know, help the person. There are many times when we break the law of free will when we're praying. And that we're often not aware of it. And the key, of, the key is to become aware of the law of free will. For example... How many times have you prayed for truth in your own life, but you personally know the truth about someone else that you've not said? How many times have you prayed for truth in your own life, and yet you know a truth about somebody else's life, and you've not told them? Can you give an example of what you mean? Uh, example. Um, let's say I have a friend in a, in, a marriage, in a marriage, and I know her husband has cheated on her. Now, most people would say, that's none of my business. And I'd have to disagree. Right? The reason why it's my business is because I know the truth, and I'm not saying it. Right? And there should be no reason why I don't say the truth, even if it means losing a friendship. Does that make sense? Now, if I'm praying at that same moment to receive truth myself, it's very hypocritical because I'm actually holding on to a truth that the other person needs for their life. Right? And in fact, the man who cheated on his wife and the wife needs for their life, actually, to heal their life. Now, I can be praying in that way, and praying for, for the other person to get to know something, but if I personally know it myself, what am I doing? 
aren't I just ignoring the fact that I, that I might be the messenger of truth for that person? So if I'm praying for things that other people's free will will be impacted on. So for example, in that situation I just gave, the free will of the husband and the free will of the wife is being impacted by my choice not to say anything. Now how does that work? How it works is the wife who does not know that her husband has cheated might have made a different choice in her life if she knew. Would she not? Like she may decide to forgive him, but she also may decide to leave him. Now, she may, if she had that information, make a different choice than she's currently making. So if I don't tell her the truth, can you see I have control over her free will to an extent? Can you see that? Can you see how me not saying something actually means that I've made a decision for her and if I've made a decision for her, so whatever that decision might be, oh, she might not cope with it, or I'll feel responsible for their marriage breakup, or, you know, who knows what. They, they, she may not believe you, and you may lose a friend, whatever, whatever it be. Whatever that is, whatever the underlying emotion is, I have broken the law of free will. I have not enabled this woman to make a choice. In all of my interactions with every person, I will always enable people to make a choice if the person wants to hear the truth. So you could go up to the person and say, do you want to hear the truth about what's going on in your relationship? She could say, no. Okay. That would be fine, wouldn't it? But if she says yes, then of course you're speaking. As a relationship counselor, I have an oath of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. Where do I stand? Well, when you, who is it? What is an oath about? An oath is a promise. Yeah, so you should always keep promises. However, I would never make a promise of confidentiality. Can you see why? Like, does God want everything to be confidential or transparent? God wants everything to be transparent. So, if I may take an oath of confidentiality, what I'm actually doing is enabling the person to stay in denial of some emotions within themselves. And I'm a party to that act. Can you see that? Now, now most, most lawyers do this, most religious people do it, most counsellors do it, and so I'm not saying what you do with your lives is totally up to you, right? But what I am saying is, is the oath in harmony with divine love or divine law? From God's perspective, is everything confidential? Nothing's confidential, is it? God knows absolutely everything. Every single thing that happens. Often confidentiality causes problems. Can you see that too? So for example... If I, you know, if I know something about one person and the, and the other person, they don't want to tell each other. Firstly, obviously, if I'm loving, I would go to the first person and say, please, you know, you, I know you know this. I feel this about it. I need to tell, you know, my other friend, whether it's your wife, husband, whatever, I need to tell them, but I'd prefer that you do it. Um, you could give them that option. But in the end, um, my feelings are, I don't care about confidentiality. 
So I'm sorry about that for everyone who's challenged by that. Now, let me address this issue a little further and give you more detail. We often make an oath of confidentiality in order to encourage people to be open with us. Do we not? Why do they need that encouragement? Because they're going to be afraid of being judged most of the time. Is that not the case? But if I'm in a state where I'm not judging anyone, then that takes that away, doesn't it? So I'm not judging anyone. What is the thing that is going to help them access their emotions the most? Truth. So if I'm denying truth in their life by helping them or assisting them denying truth in life, aren't I a party to suppressing their emotion? Probably yes. Now, this raises huge amounts of issues as doctors, lawyers, you know, counsellors, doesn't it? It's like it changes the whole ballpark. And in fact, you would often be disbarred if these kind of things happen in a doctor in a patient setting or but but I can't do I can't fix that for you. I can all I can do is tell you what God's principles are. That's all I can do. I can't actually change how you work it. So how you work it's up to you. But understand that if you take an oath of confidentiality, the oath is actually um, from God's perspective a breach of some of His divine laws. How you deal with that is up to you. I'm not telling you what to do about that. I'm just informing you that that's the case. Can you understand why, though? You see how the laws of truth are compromised? Can you see how the laws of emotion are compromised? Can you see how even the laws of um, free will are compromised? Like, there's quite a few laws compromised by, by holding something confidential when you know it would benefit another person or they may make a totally different decision if they knew the truth. You see, what happens today in almost all forms of therapy and counselling and in many doctor-patient relationships and lawyers in particular as well is nobody wants to take responsibility for how they feel. What does God want you to do? Take responsibility for how you feel. So if I'm assisting people to not take responsibility for how they feel, I'm really assisting people to do exactly the opposite of what actually God wants them to do. Can you see that? So this is a very hard issue for many of you in those professions to address. And the key is to allow yourself to feel through the issues emotionally like every other issue. So as you receive divine love, you'll feel at some point the divine love will stop flowing until you address these issues in your day-to-day -day life. And then allow yourself to work through them as you as those issues are triggered in you. Okay? Um, I have a lot of information to two other people and then ask them not to talk about it to other people. Yep. Have I asked them to do the wrong thing? Yep. <laughs> what? Because what are you doing? You're asking them to not exercise their own free will. So is that is that like if you feel that you wanted to have that not told to other people, you shouldn't have told them in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Like, like as soon as as soon as I'm asking somebody else to actually deny the operation of their own free will, I've just broken a law. They're allowed to do whatever they want with any information that I give them. They can even falsify a lot of it and tell a million people. 
And in fact, that would be my law of attraction if they did it, to trigger an emotion within me. Does that make sense? So, yeah, don't need to ask. The only reason why we ask those kind of questions is because we are afraid of the results. And so it's a fear-based decision. Um, and? Um, can I hear it a bit louder? <laughs> um, you yourself know truths about people, don't you, that if you spoke them could blow everyone's cover? And, <laughs> and, and you don't speak them often? I mean, you speak the truth to me, but I could ask you things that you probably know about my life, like who sexually abused me, could just, you know, but you wouldn't say that? Um, yes, there's times when I do know things about your life that perhaps even you don't know. But um, a lot of the times I won't... I'm perfectly happy to tell you the truth, but as long as I can feel from your soul that you want the truth. Right? So, so and, and this is a bit different than this other issue that we were discussing, and, and we'll, we'll talk about why. In one instance, we're talking about the person's own decision in their own free will. So when I'm relating to you, I am actually relating to your free will. So if Gary cheated on you, right, and I knew about it, then I would certainly say that to you. Right? But if you can, and if you come and ask me personal things about your life, whatever I can do to help you, I will try to help you. Sometimes, though, um, the help is for you to trust your own feelings about that. So a lot of people come and ask me questions and say, oh, what do you feel about that? And I ask them back, what do you feel about that? Right? Because they need to know how to exercise their own free will rather than trying to trust mine all the time. Now, I am still dealing in truth with you right? by saying, no, I am not going to tell you. I do know, but I am not going to tell you is a truth. So did Gary cheat on me? Has Gary cheated on me? <laughs> Do you feel that's the kind of thing to ask in a public setting? <laughs> Why would you have an emotive of asking that question in a public setting? What's the motive? Isn't the motive to punish Gary? So is that motive in harmony with love? So why would I answer it? Yeah. Sorry, you need to... Oh, sorry, you, you would answer it in private? If I knew the answer for certain, yes, I certainly would answer it in private. Yeah. But I see no point in asking, answering it publicly. And in fact, I see some major emotions in yourself asking the question publicly. Does that make sense? Which I would personally like to address. So if I was in truth, I would be addressing those emotions personally. If I, if I do know, like, why would I raise, if I was loving a person, why would I raise a, a, a private, like, what I know they would feel is a private issue in a public setting? There would only be one reason, and that is they have already risen it in a public setting. They have already brought it up in a public setting. So you'll notice, generally, when I'm dealing with questions and answers with people, if a person brings up something in a public setting, I will generally address that in a public setting. If they bring it up in a private setting, I'll generally address that in a private setting. But the motive is always to actually help the person become more loving. 
It's not to expose a person or to harm them or to you know, cause any other damage in their life. However, if I know something about something that's going on in your life and I feel it's important for you to know, right? now I'm making a decision for you. And I don't believe in making decisions for you. I believe you should be able to make the decisions for yourself. But isn't that, isn't that the same as, like, if you know someone, like if it's a husband and wife and you're a friend and you know they've cheated, aren't you making the decision for them yes. by telling them? Um, no. It, like, remember right at the beginning I said, if you're a friend of this couple, right? I don't know if you remember that, but that's what I said. There's a couple you know who's a friend, who are friends of yours, right? So, like, I know, like, often walking past a person down the street that he just cheated on his wife last night. I know if a woman's been raped that day or whatever. But I don't know those persons. They don't know me. And they're not asking for my assistance or help. Do you follow me? And there's nothing I can prove in a court or anything like that in those situations. But if I know this couple and I love them both, then I will certainly want to help address the issue if I love them both. Of truth. But didn't you just say that was taking away their... No, I want to enable their free will. By enabling their free will, I'm giving them the choice of making decisions. There's a lot of stuff coming back at me now. <laughs> so be honest. Say what you feel. Jen? Does that mean that to stay on the divine law path, things that I consider private need to become not public? They don't need to become public but you need to not have any emotion about them becoming public. Do you understand the difference? Yeah. So, for example, Luther, when he was on earth, you know, you know Martin Luther, not, I'm talking about the founder of the Lutheran religion, Luther. And when he was on earth, he made lots and lots of terrible statements about women. I don't know if you know that. Um, you know, he made statements about women should, women weren't being worth anything more than being kept pregnant and in the home and things like this. He made a lot of really, really derogatory statements about women. He's now one of my celestial brothers. Do you think that he that he cares that I just made that statement to you? Why? Because it's the truth. But it is the truth. Right? And the truth is, we should be able to make statements about any single person here as long as they are truthful. Do you know what I mean? And that and why would it then affect anybody? Now it'll only affect them if they have an emotion, won't it? That's in disharmony with truth. It's also the intent. Yeah, if the intent is well like if the intent is unloving, in other words just to hurt the person, then straight away I've broken another law. Myself. So I've spoken the truth, which is not breaking a law, but if my intention was to harm a person in speaking the truth, now I have broken another law. Does that make sense? So obviously I need to have a look at my intention in doing it. What's my intention? I need to really analyse my intention. So let's say I'm in a situation of counselling, and a person comes to me 
Husband and wife come to me in a counselling session. The husband says, oh, I want to talk to you privately. My first question would be, why? <laughs> like, and my second probably question, my answer would be, no. Like, why would I enable a person to speak privately in front of his wife when he meant to have some kind of close relationship with this person? What is he afraid of? So that's the next thing I would address with him. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid she might leave me if I tell you what I'm going to tell you, or whatever it is that he's afraid of. So he needs to work through that fear, does he not? Don't enable people to cover up their lives, is basically what I'm saying to you. Because when you do that, you're enabling people to break the laws of God. Don't enable people to break the laws of God. It's not your responsibility to correct everything, but it is your responsibility to correct everything that comes into your sphere of operation. That's your law of attraction. Does that make sense? So it's not my responsibility to correct somebody's life I don't know anything about, but it is my responsibility to correct anything that comes into my law of attraction and deal with that openly and honestly and truthfully. Can everyone see this? The difference, Louise. Um, Angie, you know, I think that you brought this issue up about, you know, speaking the truth about someone you know who's had an affair. I did a project, a huge project with this older man, a very spiritual man, and he had many affairs, including tragic affairs as well. Yeah. Um, I've had lots of fear come up about, you know, speaking the truth. Um, and is it for me to do that? I'm not the closest. The key for you, firstly, is to work through all of your fears about speaking the truth. Now, many of you have some very deep fears about speaking the truth. Do you not? Like, many of you have got little skeletons in the closet. Don't want anybody else to know about, right? This is how it is for most of our lives. Now, now, what's the underlying motivation emotionally to not tell the truth? Okay. Fear. Fear is, is it, isn't it? In the end? Fear. Is fear harmonious with truth? No. no. Is fear harmonious with love? No. no. So as soon as I'm clicking into fear as a motive for holding on to something, I am now out of harmony with love and truth. Can I see that? Okay. So once I'm in this state of fear, obviously now I'm motivated by the fear, and I'll come up with all sorts of intellectual arguments. And in fact, when we discuss this emotions of self-deception thing that we're talking about next month, fear is one of the emotions of self-deception. You choose to have fear so you don't have to deal with other things. Does that, everyone follows that? I, I'm choosing to be afraid of truth because I don't like what telling the truth is going to do. So I choose to be afraid of the truth. Once I'm in there, am I in love anymore? No. I'm just out of harmony with love from that moment on. Does that make sense? Now, for your question, Lewis. So you're afraid to speak the truth. Yeah, I really am. So you let know, yourself I, I, now. I don't think you'll ever speak to me. All right. You so yeah. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I've had lots of people kill me and then speak to me again. So you don't need to worry. People will always speak to you again. I'm fair thinking, right? So fear is the motivation. Fear is the motivation because there is something you're afraid of. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, what, we're talking about prayer now. So, what, what would we do first? We would pray to God about 
Dealing with the fear in yourself as to why you don't feel like you can say truth. Does that make sense? And pray to God that you develop a longing in yourself to have the law of attraction bring you truth so that you can confront this fear that you have about truth. Do you follow me? So it's not just about fear of speaking truth in my life. It's about fear of speaking truth in your life and what the results are going to be. Yeah. All of these fears are, remember, childhood related. Right? So something happened in your childhood that absolutely terrified you about truth. Exactly. Exactly. And the only way you're going to get closer to God is to actually deal with that emotionally. Does that make sense? So, in other words, I've got to somehow work through these childhood fears about truth. How am I going to do that if I don't confront issues of truth in my day-to-day life? If I ignore every truth in my day-to-day life, will I ever deal with that childhood emotion? No. Now, I can pray to God, please give me your truth, and if I'm not dealing with the fear about my childhood truth, what's happening? I am straight away in disharmony with the prayer I've just asked. So you're allowed to choose to be in disharmony with your own prayers. But you're not going to get anywhere. It's just a waste of time. Does that make sense? Do you incur a penalty? Well, you're already in the penalty. Isn't the penalty the fear that you have about truth? See, underneath that fear about truth is an actual childhood experience which you, which you don't want to release. So the fact that you're in fear about it is that's the actual penalty. That's the law of conversation. It will continue and continue and continue and continue until you decide to be repentant and deal with it a different way or start confronting truth. One of the two needs to happen. Does that make sense to everyone? Once that happens, the fear will dissolve because you'll start dealing with the childhood emotions as to why you didn't want to hear the truth or say the truth or weren't allowed to say the truth and so forth. Once those are dealt with, you'll go around boldly saying truth to every single person you ever meet and you won't even worry at all about the consequences. Now that's what freedom is, isn't it? And what did I say in the first century? The truth sets you free. This is how it sets you free. How it sets you free is when there's no longer any emotional signature to you saying truth, now you're free. You're allowed to be who you are, to say who, say what you want, be what you want, every single person around you. Does that make sense? Yes. So the, the prayer for this particular situation is actually recognizing the fear, admitting to the fear, yep. and experiencing the fear and offering that fear to God. Yep, or actually also start looking at what the childhood emotion is around truth, because that's the actual positive thing you can do. Well, yes, that, that would be the next step. Yeah. But see, understand, fear is a emotion of self-deception. Yes. All of your fear, many of you have many fears now. How, how many of you would be afraid to, uh, I don't know, jump off a 10-story um, building? Be afraid? Yeah. Okay. I'm afraid too. <laughs> but, it's, but I'm not facing the truth. The truth is, so down the track, when I'm a one with God, I'll be able to jump off a 10-story building at some point and fly, probably. Right? And I'll know when that will occur. And it will be because I've now accepted a new truth. And that new truth might be, ah, oh, now I understand there's a certain law of physics that I never understood before. It's not called the law of aerodynamics. And it's not the gravity of your law either. But it overcomes both. 
And once I understand that law, am I in fear anymore? No. Right? This applies all through your life. So, so when I face the truth, the fear dissolves. And that always is the case. But right now, if I jumped off a building, I'd hit the ground. Of course. That's why you're afraid. Because you don't know the truth. Can you see? The reason why you're afraid is you don't know the truth, and you know you don't know the truth. The truth right now is that like the ground. The truth is that because you don't know the other truth. Yeah. The other truth is the other truth is this special law, the law of the, the, that overcomes the law of aerodynamics and the law of gravity that you don't know about. The ancients in like Lemuria and Atlantis they knew about it, but you don't know about it. You don't know about that law, right? And because you don't know about the law, you know for certain that you're going to hit the ground and get a splat, right, when you jump off the building. As do I know at the moment, because I don't remember that law either. But there will come a time in your existence when you will remember that law. You will know that law. When you know that law, now that law becomes truth and the fear dissolves, doesn't it? You just step off the building like it's just a walk in the park, right? So truth is not necessarily absolute. It's what applies in the moment. It's what applies in the moment, yes, of course. So, so if, I'm, if I've got the truth inside of me about something that I know for certain emotionally is the truth, then I'm not going to have any fear about it at all. And you will get to a stage in your own progression where you will not be afraid of speaking the truth or living in truth at all. And when you get to that stage, you'll have entered the third sphere of the spirit world. <laughs> is that all sorry you want to say it you I was just going to say because I've been working around this issue as you know um, I knew a truth intellectually that truth will lead to love if I'm in personal truth at all times it will trigger all of my emotions and eventually I'll become more in love um, so I prayed about that. I said, help me have faith and understand that truth will lead to love. Mm. So you can you can know, you can realise the truth even if it's intellectually and then pray about recognising that emotionally. Exactly. Yeah. Does that make sense? So for all of you who are afraid of speaking the truth, start praying about that. When you get to the point where you're no longer afraid of the truth and afraid of speaking the truth in every circumstance and situation, you'll have entered this third sphere of the spirit world. So you'll know you'll never visit at hell unless you want to go there, right, once you get to that condition. But does that tell you, too, how refined the spheres of the spirit world are? Doesn't it? What kind of lessons you would need to learn as you progress? What's the lesson for the second sphere? I don't want to go through all the lessons of every sphere. <laughs> get it? I have committed adultery, I'm asking you, I really believe that by not going to the man's wife, if I went to his wife and confessed the truth, then it would perpetuate harm. Can you 
Yeah, that, that's I, not true. I feel. I know you feel that. Jeez and angry and grieved and saddened and just a multitude of things here. Um, but the truth will set you free, Danny. So all of those emotions you just mentioned of guilt and shame, and the children they all need to know the truth. All of them all need to know the truth. All of them need to know the truth. The reason why all of them need to know the truth is because the truth will set them free too. And because it's a personal thing, it's something that's going on in, for yourself, something that you yourself have done, it's very important that you face the personal truths. Very, very important. Does that mean that I can't progress in divine love until I rectify? You'll progress until the third sphere, and then you won't progress any longer until you address that particular issue. That's correct. And now we're starting to get down the line of like, you know, I have an acquaintance and they, know, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, if it's a really good friend of yours, just raise the issue in a conversation with them. Do they want to know the truth of what happened? And if they don't want to say, that's fine. You know, they may not want to. So that's fine, that's their free will at work. If they want to know, then tell them the truth. That's fine too. But, but what, you will, what I'm saying really is, in your day-to-day -day life right now, there are issues of truth that hit you every day. What I'm saying is, from now on, start practicing living in the truth of them. Right? And you'll find whatever emotions freak you out about speaking the truth are going to come up really rapidly. Does that make sense? And once you get through those emotions and come out the other side of the emotions, you'll be in the third sphere. Now, that might take you six months or 12 months, but once you get through those emotions and come out the other side, you'll be in a really, really good state when it comes to <coughs> truth and love. I'm just a bit confused now. You're saying... Use the mic, maybe. And if we can use the mic up the back for the question, sir. Do you ask them for their... Do you want to hear the truth, or do you just tell them? I usually ask people whether they want to hear it. And that's better than, like, there will come a time in your life where everything inside of you is a soul-to-soul -soul transaction. So here's your soul, that's you, here's the other person. You won't ever have to ask the person whether they want to hear truth because you'll feel the emotion from them that they don't want to hear the truth. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But that is still you honouring their free will. Now, at that stage, the majority of us are not in that... At this stage, the majority of us are not in that state, are we? We can't just look at somebody's soul, feel their emotion, and say, oh, yeah, they want to know the truth, and, and out with it. Most of us are not in that state yet. So if you're not in that state yet, use the words. Ask the person, do they want to hear the truth? Let yourself say. Most people will actually tell you they want to hear the truth, even when they don't. <laughs> okay? So, like, for example, in the case that I gave you, if a person wants to hear the truth, like, of a cheating husband, and then they say they want to hear the truth, you tell them the truth, and then they ban you from their life for the rest of your life, then obviously they didn't want to hear the truth. But you don't know that. And what I'm saying is at this particular point in your development, you've got to stick by the laws of free will that you know as best you can at this point. And all development is like that. Do what you know to be true at this point. 
And I just want to say, so if in your past, if you've done something that wasn't being truthful, do we have to go back to that and get that? Or do we just start from sort of like now and be truthful? Like, stop. My answer is that your soul will tell you. It, the more you deal with your emotions, your soul won't be able to handle not going back. Exactly. And your soul loves truth. Once you start telling the truth, it triggers a lot of emotions, but then you're hooked. Yeah, you get sort of addicted to truth after a while, and you just can't help yourself. <laughs> because you're honouring yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Does that make sense? And it doesn't mean you don't have compassion when you tell the truth to others either. You always have compassion. So, so the, when you deal with this issue of truth, you'll find yourself, if you're really repentant about it, firstly, the first thing you'll do is you'll pray to God about it, and you'll feel the feeling of repentance enter you. And then, from that moment on, you'll be addressing issues of truth in your day-to-day -day life all the time, without resistance. And you'll find that any unhealed previous thing that needs to be dealt with will be presented through your law of attraction to you again. And you need to let yourself deal with it. That will automatically happen, because remember, God's law is automatically there to help you heal your emotions. So that will automatically happen. So let yourself deal with all that. Does that make sense? I'd like to mention about this issue of truth. The whole reason why I've got I've got a whole day coming up. Remember, not to, uh, I can't remember when I did actually. It's either this month or next month. Talking about prayers for divine truth, right? Because this subject of truth is such an important subject. So we'll be talking about prayer for divine love and prayer for divine truth specifically as issues because they are very, very big issues in your own progression. So I just wanted to say that so that all of you are aware that there will be a lot more said about this subject. Yes. Oh, hi, AJ. Um, I was just wanting some clarification with regards to prayer, um, with regards to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, my thing is about interfering with their free will, and mm -hmm. I'm not sure, like you mentioned before, you skipped over quite quickly and it didn't quite register in my head mm -hmm. as to, um, like you, I think your example was uh, a soulmate, that um, you could ask the God to help them to be shown or through their... Well, it, it gets, yeah, it gets like, back down to our motive. Yeah. Always back down to our motive. Well, it ends up being my motive, doesn't it? So that's where I go, okay, well... And if you're praying for... Some... with their free will. Exactly. Maybe they don't want to... You know, it has to, like, and again, then also I'm not trusting God. Exactly. And I'm not giving him, you know, or us or every individual their opportunity to grow as they see fit. Exactly. So my question comes back again. How Are you asking if a question? I want to, <laughs> yeah, but if I want to um, yeah. say a prayer, say my father's ill, and, um, you know, I want to say a prayer for him, like he's sending him love and asking for God to protect him or whatever, is that a, that's interfering with? No, always look at your motive. Right? Now let's look at our motives. Let's say our dad's ill and we're praying for our dad. What's my motive? Is my motive that I'm afraid of him dying? 
Is my motive is that I'm afraid of the pain that he's feeling? Is my motive that he won't love me as much if he's in more pain? Is my motive that he's actually angry with me while he's in this pain? What is my motive? Right? Now, all of those motives I just listed are all unloving. And God can't hear the prayer on those bases. However, God can hear the prayer on the basis of my motive being loving. Please help my dad deal with the emotion that he's working through that causes his illness. It's a very loving prayer. If I know the emotion, I'd actually go and tell my dad what it is, even. That would be a loving thing to do. Right? So my motive is everything. What is my motive? If my motive is actually for selfish purposes, then I'm out of harmony with the law of free will. So is he actually praying for God, um, ask God to show you the soulmate or show whoever it is that you're praying for the emotion behind it? That's how you can know it came from Well, no. Remember I just said it depends on your motive. So if my motive for doing that is that I want my soulmate to love me, then it's a selfish motive. If my motive is that I just love my soulmate and want my soulmate to progress, now it's not a selfish motive. See, this is where we've got to be so... You see what I'm saying to you? You can see the difference between sincerity and insincerity, right? Now, the more loving we become, the more sincere we become and the more pure our motive becomes. So initially, when we start off in the first fear, a lot of our motives are very impure. They're not really loving. Most of our motives are quite self-based. But as we progress and receive more divine love, our motives become more pure. So, And God understands this too. Right? He gets the bit that our motive was, and when it was pure, he feels that bit. And he resonates with that bit that was pure, and acts upon that bit that was pure. Does that make sense? He doesn't act upon all the bits that are not very pure. It doesn't matter how you say it. Well, remember I say the prayer is the emotion, not the thought. So it doesn't matter how you're saying it, what is your motive? Does that make sense to everyone? What is your feeling behind the prayer? That's the thing that matters. That is, in fact, the real condition, the real reason why you're even praying, is the feeling behind the prayer. Yeah. Uh, just wait for the microphone. Can you make for the microphone? Thank you. I appreciate very much that you want to make a community, yep. but I would suggest and it's my desire that we have a counseling center because we need it. So, think about that because that's more need. I feel that we all of us need counseling and help. In the same time, we can be in the community. How, how many of you are already counsellors or psychiatrists or involved in counselling and helping others? Right. How many of you, yeah, keep your hands up, how many are involved in even things like Reiki and all those kind of things as well? Spiritual healing and all those kind of things? Right, good half the audience. You can set up a counselling centre. <laughs> and I'm happy to give you advice. I'm happy to give you advice, but I'm not going to be doing it myself. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to tell divine truth. <laughs> Jen, thanks. After no, thank you. Thanks, Tris. My dad is ill in the hospital. He had a stroke. Yep. <laughs> um, 
Can I, I, can I just stop you for a second? Why are you sad? Because I'm, I'm fearful about a lot of things. I'm fearful that um, he's not going to be around. Yeah. But since then, I've been praying to God to help him through his law of attraction to feel his emotions because I want him to pass over in the best emotional state that he can. But I am very fearful of talking to him about his emotions and what Mary said before about trusting um, that the truth will lead to love that brought up a lot of emotion in me because I honestly don't think that by telling my father the truth that it's going to lead to love, even though as much as I'd I'd love to be able to believe that. And also, because of my financial situation at the moment, one of my other fears which shocked the heck out of me was, don't you dare die so that my law of attraction will give me money after you die because I'm scared of not having any money. So, so let's address some of the issues from a prayer point of view. Firstly, the prayer that, that Dad you know, deals with his emotions at the moment is motivated by some selfish emotions inside of yourself, right? A lot of fear and a lot of those. So it's motive, the motive is fear within yourself. Right? If the motive is fear, is it love? No. Simple as that, just no. Now, if the motive is fear, the prayer you need to be praying about is, please help me look at my fears about my father, you know, and his illness, is the first thing that you need to be starting addressing with with God. Does that make sense? Once you let yourself work through all of them, you will actually get to a state where you can pray for your father, but actually the motive be based on love. And so many of the comments that you made as what you were praying to God about, actually God couldn't hear because at the moment, it's coming from a different place. Is it? Yeah. So the key is to start addressing that issue with God. Does that make sense for everyone? See, for most of us, what we're doing is we're addressing issues with God that we're not actually feeling at the time. In other words, we want God to change our external environment so that we don't feel the fear that we feel. But actually, the external environment is actually there through your law of attraction so that you feel the fear you're feeling and work your way through it and get to something deeper. Does that make sense? So what God wants in this situation, what you want in this situation, is totally the opposite thing. So can God answer those prayers? No. All God can do is allow the fear in you to build even more and build even more until you realise, actually, I am just so terrified about whatever it is. And I need to do with that. That's the thing I need to pray for. So that's what, in this case, you need to do. So many times I see, even on the internet, you know, like where people are saying, oh, such and such just passed, pray for them. Why? Why didn't you pray for them before they passed? Why? Because you didn't care about them as much before they passed and afterwards. Why? Can you see what I'm saying? Because, obviously, you didn't think about them that much until they passed. Why? Because you're probably scared of passing yourself. That's probably why. And allow yourself to feel your way through all of that emotion. You see what I'm saying? Like, 
Often our motives for doing things are way, way out of harmony with love. So when I hear people say things like, I, I see quite often posted different things on different forums, not very much now because I don't read much of them, um, I see quite often in the past ones where, oh, such and such have passed, please pray for them, or such and such is very ill, please, please pray for them. My feeling is, why aren't you praying for them already? When they were not, you know, unwell, for example. When they weren't passed, why weren't you praying for them then? Can you see, sometimes, if we ask that question, we will often see the motive that we have. And it's the motive we have that needs to be addressed. I wrote a lot about fear last night mm -hmm. because yesterday I said to Nada, because I live with her, um, a lot has happened in the last three weeks but I don't think I've been emotional enough for it. There must be a lot of fear there. So thanks to my law of attraction, it's Another started. Another event. Yeah. yeah. We will talk more about fear when we talk about this uh, subject of emotions of self-deception. Because fear is an emotion of self-deception. Uh, and we need to talk a lot more about those kind of emotions. And you notice over the page, uh, under the section uh, on the third page, I've got what will not be heard by God. I just want to go through a few of those. Because many of you have already asked questions about this. So one of the things, notice the last thing on this, is God will not hear prayers where you refuse to do what you're asking God to do. I'll say that again. God will not hear a prayer where you're asking God to do something that you personally refuse to do. I'm not saying that you can't do because of circumstances. I'm saying that you refuse to do. So, for example, um, an example, um, there are so many examples actually, there's just, just like, what did I put in the thing there? Um, yeah, just like. Train to go for a job change, or is that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah. Um, then when refuse to leave the job you're in because of emotional anger. Yeah, so let's look at yeah. that one, the job yeah. change thing. <laughs> so I'm praying to God, I'm praying to God for a change of job because I hate my job. So I keep saying to God, I hate my job, I want to change my job. And and so I'm waiting for God to bring up another job for me. It's basically what I'm doing, isn't it? <coughs> but how can God do that? Like, you're not willing to take any action in harmony with your prayer. So how's God going to do that? Like, are you just going to sit there and twiddle your thumbs and wait till God arranges everything in the end of this for you without you actually making an action? Now, what you refuse to do is often what you need to learn. So God is often trying to teach us, well, actually, no, you can do this for yourself, actually. You don't need me for this one. Right? You can do this one for yourself because your law of attraction is so powerful. Once you set your intention and once you really go for it, bang, everything will just happen. All of my laws are already nursing you. That's really what God's saying to us, right, in this situation. All of my laws are really nursing you. All you need to do is, do I like this job? No. Should I be in it? No. Stop straight away. What job do I like? Ah, oh, I like riding bikes around, so I'll go and find a job. Better, so I can do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
and exercise your desire and attention. And because of all that, now you're also praying, right? Remember, prayer is about the soul. Soul is about desire, passion, longing. You're praying right at that instant. That makes sense. So oftentimes what we're doing is we pray to God because we want God to sort something out for us that we didn't want to sort out ourselves. God doesn't answer that kind of stuff very well. Because God's there waiting for us to work out the fact that actually, no, hang on a sec, you created what you've got right now. You need to feel the pain of the creation of what you created. And then once you feel that, maybe you'll decide to do something different. Now, if I start praying, what is the reason why I'm staying in a job that I don't like? I want to feel the feelings of why I'm staying in a job I don't like. Now God can answer that really, really well for us, can't he? Because now we're starting to deal with the cause of what's actually going on. Does that make sense? So oftentimes we ask God to do things that we personally refuse to do. The key is to stop doing that, right? And start looking at the emotional reasons why you refuse to do it. Pray about that instead. You notice one above that, we often ask God to fix what we've created. This is sort of like an extension of that. So, you know, like our marriage is breaking down. We want our partner to come to some realisations that he's hurting us. But who created this relationship? God? No. I did. I did create this relationship. Now, God's perfectly willing for me to work through the issues of why the relationship isn't working and perfectly willing to help me do that. But he's not going to take away the effects of my creation. To do that, he'd have to break the law of cause and effect. And he'd have to break the law of compensation. And he'd have to break, like, there's quite a few laws he'd have to break just to do that. God's not going to do that. Can you see how it works? In a, in a work situation, say you're being abused by a fellow colleague, yep. would, in that situation, if you wanted to pray for God to release that, would you have to feel like not being liked and all that emotion and release and <coughs> experience it to, to release to God? Yes, and that's then, right. Then the law of attraction or law will change? Will change, that's right, yeah. Oh, well, the law of attraction might be just a simple thing of why are you staying in a job? where somebody's harming you. And a lot of times what we do is we prostitute ourselves in that way. We stay in something that's harming us because we haven't learned to love ourselves yet. So it might not be the law of attraction because of uh, other issues. It might be just that we haven't learned to love ourselves yet, that it's being triggered. The key is to let yourself work your way through that emotionally. Pray to God about the issue and you will find what the issue really is within you. Also, on that note, does that come back from a childhood? Always. Always from a childhood thing. Always. So at the causal level, we'd be asking for God to show us what this is triggering in me. What's the feeling is triggering me? I want to know what that feeling is. Oh, it's anger, and then it's this and it's that, whatever the emotions are. And then I'd say, what kind of relationship does this have to issues in my own childhood? And you'd probably find a relationship between a father doing that to you, in your case, yes, and, uh, and so forth. Notice uh, prayers that harm others or the environment. And I've heard of people saying a prayer to curse a person. <laughs> How many times have you felt like doing that? <laughs> and, and in fact, the person was then cursed. 
In other words, the person then got a sickness and they died from it. Or the person then got, you know, some kind of illness. And Now, was God doing that? No. So who was? A spirit, yeah. So, so many times, and, and this happens a lot in more spiritualistic cultures, like the Aboriginal culture, a lot of the African cultures, a lot of the Asian cultures, where, where direct spirit influence is involved in harming the other person at, at a person's wish. Right? It's certainly not God doing that. God doesn't answer prayers to cause the harm of other people. Very, very low-level spirits answer those prayers uh, in order to carry out your wishes. Right. So you've all heard of really negative uh, things like witchcraft, and I'm not talking about so-called, like, the white witchcraft, I suppose you'd call it nowadays. I'm talking about the real black evil stuff, which is about harming other people, controlling, manipulating events, and all those kind of things. All voodoo-type things, yep. All of those things which are rife still in the world today are not prayers to God or to Satan. They are actually desires of the person enabled with spirit to people with spirit who are spirits, and the two desires merge, and the spirit does all they can to harm the person. Prayers for protection against that, of course, God answers. But deal with the emotional reason why you need the protection in the first place. Because no spirit can harm you unless there is an emotional connection between you and the spirit. But God always answers prayers for those that kind of protection. As long as we're willing to look at our law of attraction. Then of course God can answer those prayers. What about uh, repetition? Heartless repetition? You know? The Lord's Prayer, said over and over again, makes a real sanctimonious. Of course that's not the case. Does that make sense? No, it's not the case at all. So, don't get involved in prayers that just go mindless, endless repetition. Go into the emotion. Let yourself settle with the emotion. Don't think that you can demand something of God. You know, do a negotiation with God, you know, uh, if I do this for you, God, will you do this for me? That kind of thing? Right. Yes, thank you. So so don't think you can get into that state where you can where you can negotiate with God. A lot of people try negotiating with God. Have you noticed that? Uh, how many times have you done it in the past? Yeah? Where you said, Oh, if I do this for you, God, will you do that for me? Uh, that kind of thing. And now, this is going to sound quite harsh, perhaps, but often we even do this right down with really big diseases and illnesses, where we say, oh, if you cure me of this disease, I'll then do your will, or something like that. You follow me? Now, God doesn't answer those prayers, right? Because it's not dealing with, well, there's literally 50 reasons probably why God doesn't answer one of those prayers. But the key thing for us to bear in mind is that we have emotions within us where we feel we can manipulate God into doing what we want. And we need to feel those emotions and work through those emotions. Because the truth is we can't manipulate God. God is unnegotiable. That doesn't mean God's unloving. 
it means that God is unnegotiable with regard to breaking any laws. You know, nowadays, you know, you pay a bit of extra money uh, to someone on the table, you get a bit of a kickback, you know, and get a bit of extra service, you know. Well, God doesn't do that either. <laughs> you can't just pay extra money to God and God gives you a bit of extra service or, you know. So all of these things that have been presented in the past in many religions of, you know, paying extra to get out of purgatory and all those kind of things, all of those things are obviously not motivated of, out of truth or love. And it's impossible to do those things. God doesn't change God's laws. Uh, what do we ask God for a sign? Does that mean... Ask God for a sign? <laughs> yes. Um, what for? Um, yeah. Okay. Show me a sign that this person is my soulmate. Yeah. Okay. And so, sign. Uh, what would the sign be like? <laughs> yes. Gorgeous. <laughs> 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 Your sign is a red ribbon. Okay. When you're asking these kind of questions, it's your guides often that are interacting with you, right? And so there's some friends I know that uh, she has, any time she sees multiple twos, she knows she should take notice of something. Twos, like two, 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 two something, like something like that. She knows she should take notice of something that's going on. Of course, most of the time she doesn't take notice of it or deal with it emotionally. But... This happens to her so frequently in her life, she's now learned that that's the way her guides are trying to communicate with her, a sign about something. But, you know, they're not probably going to answer the question. But they may give you a sign in order to deal with some emotions. Does that make sense? Now, um, most of the time we ask for signs is because we're not trusting our own emotions. And one of the things that all of your celestial guides want to do with you is teach you how to trust yourself. And are you trusting yourself when you're relying on them? Are you relying on God when you're relying on them? So a lot of these things of signs are all about us not yet being developed emotionally enough to know the truth about it. So isn't it better to ask for things like, I feel this person may be my soulmate. Show me what emotions I need to work through to know the truth. That would be more beneficial for prayer, wouldn't it? Rather than asking for a sign. Because, you know, if they just give you a sign, you just say, oh yeah, he's my soulmate. And so you get into this relationship, and he's a sleazebag at the moment, right? I'm not saying he is. But let's say, you know, and, and if you loved yourself, you wouldn't even be with this man, even if he is your soulmate. Does that make sense? But because somebody has told you he's your soulmate, you go into the relationship. Now, obviously, that wouldn't be beneficial to you. right? So, so this is where the principles of truth and love need to be practiced in, the lo in your life. So rather than asking yourself those kind of questions, you're far better off asking yourself things like, and asking God things like, what emotions in me are unhealed that prevent me from meeting my soulmate? Please show me those emotions and help me work through those emotions. Does that make sense? That would be a far more powerful thing to do. Because the truth is, if one of your guys or even God gave you a sign that somebody is your soulmate, 
and the person is in a poor condition, there's a high likelihood you would compromise other principles at the moment to be with them. And that wouldn't be beneficial to your soul at all. So that means that I, I, I said to God, um, I'm willing to deal with this issue um, if you take away the, attract, the, the law of attraction stuff. But that's making a demand, is it? Certainly. God's not going to take away the law of attraction. Ever. God, it's one of God's beautiful messengers to you that you're either in harmony or out of harmony with God. But if I say, okay, I get it now, I've got, I've got this, I'm going to deal with it, I am dealing with this. Yep. God's not going to take it away then either. It's going to go away automatically when you deal with it. You see, often what we do is we negotiate with God. We say, I know what the issue is now. I'll deal with it next week. Can you please take away my law of attraction? <laughs> God's not going to do that. Like, God's not going to do that. And you can see why. Because everybody would be praying for their law of attraction to be taken away if it's negative. And then nobody would be listening to it and all be getting away with their own law of attraction. God doesn't do things like that. When Your law of attraction will change when your soul has released the emotion. That's the only time it's going to change. And you can pray till you blur in the face for your law of attraction to change before then, and it will not. So I need to pray to work out what that emotion is. You need to pray to work out what the emotion is, but you also need to pray to thank God for the law of attraction. Okay. See, at the moment, many of us are actually cursing God for the law of attraction, <laughs> aren't we? But if we're in pain, we feel the pain of our law of attraction, oftentimes we get into this state of, ah, ah, you know, why can't God stop this law of attraction? When in reality, what we need to do is embrace our law of attraction. Our law of attraction, remember, is God's messenger of truth to us. So God's not going to take away our law of attraction. Yeah, God will never do that. You can take away your law of attraction just by getting on and dealing with emotion. You know? yeah. Now, it's uh, nearly half past, so I need to stop all questions now. Obviously, there's a few other things I haven't covered with that prayer discussion. And uh, if you can have a look at them and have a ponder about them, Meditate about them a bit. Oh, one thing I'd like to mention is uh, Ian has made some. There's five in the bag that Ian has brought for a present. So, and there's some more coming tomorrow if you'd like to have some more. There's five going. Five, 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 five. Five, 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 five. Ah, yes, someone else. There we go. What? Now, what just happened there? What just happened there? I was offering. I was offering, and what was going on? You were waiting for me to. Can you see what was happening with desire there? Can you see that? It was when it was when somebody actually came up and exercised desire and they received. Important message. Um, thank you very much, people, for your. Uh,